This is Tom from Third Rail Design Lab. And this is Born Again Blake. And it's time to... Time to... <laughs> it's close. Release the... Kraken! Blake Simmons, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Third Rail Tom. How are you doing this lovely evening? I'm sort of melting, semi-melting. It's warm. How is it over there in San Francisco? Uh, no, 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 I think inside the house it's 74. Yesterday it was very hot, and then <clears throat> when I got home in the afternoon, um, I tried to do something in the front yard, some gardening or whatever, and I was just like, I can't even believe how much I'm sweating. And yet the house is always, you know, 15 degrees cooler or something until until dusk and then it catches up, right? And yesterday it didn't it it didn't warm up in the house and I told um a work associate this morning that I that I jinxed myself by by being all so happy about it cuz it's going to come back with a vengeance tonight, right? And so sure enough it's just hot as hell. <laughs> well, you know, that's uh that's one of the occupational hazards of living on a hell mount. Uh yes it is. I understand that. I yeah. understand I understand that, but I had to listen. The Marin real estate market is what it is. You take what you can get. Indeed. So, you know, if it's on Krakatoa, so be it. That's right. That's right. The view is lovely. Krakatoa was was misunderstood. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, as a distressed property goes, it was uh, pretty nice. <laughs> That's really funny. The distressed property, because half the time you had a frowny face. <laughs> So I'm referring, of course, to the Krakatoa and X-Men. Um, so uh, before we get into it, because these things tend to get away from us, I wanted to do a sweet uh, drink check, our segment we call Sucking That Monkey. And I want to know, what are you having? What are you drinking? <laughs> I am having a delightful combination of oh, God, hydration, no. and, yeah, adult, uh, hydration and alcohol. I'm drinking a lime liqueur uh, and a Butterfield Station Cabernet Sauvignon 2017. Okay, wait. So Butterfield Station, uh, uh, cab cab so. Yeah. Okay. So, and you mixed it with lime liqueur? No, 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 no. I am drinking a separate oh. canned beverage <laughs> of lime flavored liqueur bottled water. Okay. Sparkling. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> I was going to say ready. that sounds Jakarta to me, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not ready. For, I'm not ready for the Thorazine Clinic just yet. No, it's uh, separate oh beverages. God. Trying to stay, you know, oh. hydrated and and happy. The well. H and H, hydrated and happy. <laughs> well, okay, because we've done we've done some dubious things. I'm doing a semi dubious thing tonight because I had some Coke left over from the um, convention, and, and and by that you mean Coca Cola? Yes, and okay. yes, and then um, <laughs> wasn't your type of convention? I'm just making sure. And, yeah, well, it was an AVN. Yeah, nu- nuclear physicist conventions are different. So yeah, yeah. the thing is, um, I. I don't have Coke around me very often, but I do make rum and Cokes when I go to the shows, had some leftover, saved it for the podcast that didn't quite happen last week, still brought it out tonight, mixed it with Kraken. It's flat as hell. It's flatter oh. than flat. Oh. Uh, it's as flat as your homeland. So you got, you got, you got flaccid Kraken. Yes. However, I'm going to love it because it's still delicious anyway. It's just actually maddening. But I'm going to ignore the maddening part and, and focus on the delicious part. Uh, Blake, 
It's been a week with some newsy news, has it not? It has been a very newsy newsy week. In the time since we planned to record, and we're actually recording, so that goes back a few weeks, um, lots has happened, and I haven't really kept track of all the things that we haven't talked about, but let's talk about the current, the most current of current events. The sweetest, sweetest, nerdiest current events. I think the one on everyone's mind is, of course, the fact that Predator seems to have shit the bed. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about Dax Shepard defending wife Kristen Bell. Um, yeah, so that I'm fine with uh, that too, actually. But, but but let's move. Let's talk about Predator first because what the hell? Well, I mean, it wasn't like it. It couldn't be easily discerned <laughs> from the trailer and all the coverage of said movie. Yeah, uh, it it uh, it kind of reminded me of uh, oh, I don't know. Waterworld, Gremlins Two, or Ishtar, or Gremlins Two, or you know, uh, or (laughs) Speed Racer, Uh and uh, that you know, let's take a let's take a much loved franchise and hit it in the nuts as hard as we can. Yeah, we've had we've had some misfires recently about uh, about you know reboots of old franchises that didn't live up to their potential, like RoboCop. Which I still enjoyed, but it didn't. It didn't hit its mark the way it could have. Right. Yeah, I, I thought I thought RoboCop was campy, but it wasn't. It wasn't you know anywhere close to the class and panache of the original. And um, boy, that Predator thing! It just uh, you didn't uh, see it, 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 it. No, I did not. It was. Uh, it, it's it's kind of like a uh, um, Predators Two, mm-hmm. right? With Danny Glover and the yeah, yeah, sure. The really, last one I saw. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't see Alien vs. Predator or any of those? Well, so here's the thing. Uh, I, risked, um, I risked physical violence um, from friends when I admit that I was not super fond of Predator as a concept. Um, I appreciated its place in 80s action movies. And I liked yeah. it for that. I mean, I certainly saw it 80 times as a teenager like, like you did. But, yeah. but even as a kid, I was like, well, he has rubbery hands and feet. And also, he seems like a bad sport. Like I remember just and just feeling like it's just an excuse. It's just an action movie vehicle for Schwarzenegger, and it really wasn't that in its original form. To me, it grew in my interest over time. The more I saw it, as I got a little older, because I would start to cultify things about the crew and all that other stuff. But you know, I yeah, remember yeah. early on, I just thought, well, you know, this is not really a sci-fi movie. This is just an action movie where the main nemesis for him is a little bit seemingly more powered than him and has a little bit of an exotic quality, but otherwise is blah. Um, And I just couldn't get around the design. A lot of people just worship that design. I thought the mask was kludgy. The dreadlocks were weird fishnet body. mm, And then the rubbery hands and feet. And then of course I just, I didn't think that the, um, the male, uh, the male vagina panic face was that interesting. Even as a teenager, I I had seen vaginas at that point in the flesh not scary. <laughs> so, uh, wow. That, uh, wow. I did not make that relational translation. That is, uh, come on. Crazy. Of course you no, did. Of no, course you did. No, I just thought it was a, exactly they, what it was. They, they did a, they did a horizontal as opposed to the vertical action to try and make up the predator, uh, the alien maw. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's scary. Vaginas are scary. No, they're C- not. Cunnilingus is, is not necessary. That's what that is. So, uh, you are at- <laughs> Doris, if you're listening, Everything is now explained. 
I'm saying there's nothing scary. And that was that was scary. It was male writers and a male production team and an and almost entirely male uh, special effects staff twice. Yes. The, con- the, the very concept today would be a different thing. They wouldn't come up with that from scratch today. Yeah. Okay. When they have done anything even remotely close to orifices today it's 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 clap back <laughs> there's some there's someone in the room there's someone in the room who says wait what are we doing on the on the other hand on the other hand we're 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 operating in a political climate in our country and a cultural climate in our country and even around the world where we're back 40 years so i don't know maybe vaginas are scary again well the the, the red hats would certainly believe you uh believe yeah. that that's yeah. that's for sure so uh, and I have actually fond memories of Predator 2, even though it was terrible, for two reasons. I liked the everybody has a gun on the bus scene, <laughs> being from L.A., and then also I got a lot of mileage out of the um, the Jamaican uh, um, seer who would roll the pigeon bones, bones or whatever it was. Bones. Totally is the same, you know, that guy, because I, I folded him into a cyberpunk campaign and I used him, I don't know, I used him as the... You know, as the Oracle for many games. <laughs> so yes. I like that. What I find interesting, though, I've read about Aliens versus Predator. I've read about Predators and been told by several people that I'm stupid and I need to watch it. And I've acquired it. just haven't seen it. But everything I've heard about Adrian, I love Adrian Brody. So I figured that's what yeah. I would love the most. And everything I heard is he's the best. That's great. But what, but what I got out of listening to people to, uh, review Predator, The Predator, whatever this one is. It's is that a, all a, the movies are in continuity somehow? Future LA, and then no future LA, and then <laughs> Predadogs, and all the stuff from all these different movies are somehow in continuity in, according to the Predator, which seems really odd. <laughs> it, it does, but it was a uh, you know uh, Predator Two I like because of Bill Paxton. It was uh, yeah yeah, yeah. surprising that uh, the aliens role sure, but he elevated everything. Yeah. I would pour my first sip out to Bill Paxton, but I've already sipped it, and I'm concerned about ants. This is Marin. It would be a problem. But um, <laughs> but so, you know, the thing is also that cast. Well, okay, so Shane Black, uh, he's he's high and low, right? Like, his buddy movie stuff was lame for a long time, and then, and then Iron Man 3 I enjoyed, but really fell flat with the mainstream Marvel audience who couldn't understand why Marvel was taking risks like that. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, it's not really an Iron Man movie. It's barely even a Tony Stark movie, but it's, I, I think it's interesting on its own. And then, uh, 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 nice guys, nice guys, yeah. uh, love that movie. Just, he was on, he was firing on all cylinders. Yeah. So I had hope that he was in an upward trend and that by taking on a project like this, he would find a way to capture everything that we nostalgically theoretically like about the franchise and the tropes but then give it his spin and make it interesting and from what i've heard it's absolutely whatever's the opposite of that no it's a it's a dog's breakfast a dog's breakfast yeah <laughs> i heard enough about i mean even i didn't even watch the trailers i only saw the first trailer um and i was horrified by what proved to be true i was afraid they were going to do the the autistic superpower child and it sounds like they did but as soon as he was holding, they were doing those jump cuts of him holding the thing and then the ship landing. I was like, no, this is not what I wanted to see. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. so, and then the giant predator and all the other things. I just, I'm not, I don't even, I don't even have the motivation to get it in the queue to watch it at home. 
Like I know I should, but I just don't feel it. No, I'm I'm, I'm good. Uh, yes. Um, however, on the heels of that, what I also found interesting was the Olivia Munn effect in the lead yeah. up to this release, <laughs> because it, it kind of reminds me of how when that last season of Arrested Development was was released, and then Jeffrey Tambor was outed, and then the cast had that really the male cast had that really weird awkward awkwardly defensive patronizing interview that group interview they did and then and and it was really unnerving to see behind the curtain and realize how tone deaf that felt yes Um, even from people that i really respected i mean i i really respect jason bateman i really like him but and i've heard him in interviews and on podcasts and everything else, I was really surprised that he he stepped in it the way he did in that interview. So, you know, you fast forward to this, and you know, she gets wind of the fact that she was doing sex scenes against a, um, you know, a convicted predator, yeah. and is upset that no one told her, and the studio and the cast go quiet. Instead of jumping out in the climate we're in, instead of jumping out and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. But, I mean, I, you know, what are you supposed to do on the eve of its release and you get something like that happening? But she, I think she was justified in her outrage. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I would say that the, everyone should get up and unite around this and say, we, the, the, the good riddance, we cut them. We didn't know, right? And, uh, and unify around. Apologies basic, around. and Basic human decency. How about that? Yeah, and then two days of silence from him, and then he and then he throws it, you know, well, sorry, kind of thing. But but she she had an interesting point. She was frustrated that the rest of the cast didn't support her, yeah. and also she was frustrated that the lack of support made it immediately start to shift into the bitches whining. Yeah, right. Immediately, all this stuff started coming out about oh well, she wasn't even a good part of the movie, and oh, she was difficult, and all this other stuff. And those are all the things that. 90% of the time compared to the 10 it's stuff being levied at female um, professionals who are raising their voice right yeah. it occasionally happens to male yeah. yeah it occasionally happens to males but very often it's the female and that's what it was really frustrating to watch that thing sort of implode on itself yeah. was that you could see the path towards resolution and watch them just steer the opposite direction and make it worse well, I mean, you you, you kind of not to make it an overt uh, parallel or anything, but it you know every social movement has uh, the a backlash to mm-hmm. it, right? And uh, with the whole Kavanaugh thing, yeah, and uh, the, all the all the blowback that's coming up since this uh, uh, person came out and and made mm-hmm. this made this, and now. Uh, we're back to victim naming and oh she's been confused and oh it's 36 years ago so she obviously can't remember uh you know yep so as, as much as you think we've evolved and the conversation has turned uh well guess what Here well we but that's the thing i'm i'm seeing it in culture and i'm seeing it in politics but hollywood is by and large a progressive yeah, yeah, no, but but, but and yet and, and yet even though this, and yet you have this case. Well, right? I was going to say, I mean, this is definitely, I mean, this is not like, I mean, the un, uh, what are they called, Impossibles or whatever that, what, what's that movie with Sylvester Stallone and everybody where they're just action movie heroes, the Unforgettables, things. Unforgettables. What is it called? Uh, oh god. Well, that um, that franchise is aimed at dude bros, right? Yeah. So you could kind of see them being 
and and like the Michael Bay stuff is very patronizing. Yeah. So you can imagine Expendables, Expendables yeah. yeah. Those two those two franchises you could you could expect the sort of thing out of it because their demographic is aimed at a, a more conservative dude bro mentality and it's a boys club and all that other stuff. And not to say that it's not still a boys club in Hollywood, but it's still more progressive. And so I was kind of surprised that in the light of everything, I mean, Me Too just wrecked Hollywood. I mean, there's so yeah. much takedown. So for them to uh, fumble this uh, really, really surprised me. It did not do that movie any favors. And I think no. that part of that calculus, I think it was a calculus on the studio side. I think part of the calculus was, well, you know, this movie's going to be playing to 99% dude bros. Let's not. Let's not get too touchy feel about this. Let's see if we can squash this this talk, you know. And is, I think it backfired. Which is just wretched. Yeah, and it's absolutely wretched. Yeah, absolutely wretched. Yeah, I, I, I just, I was just, mm, had bad feeling about it. Yeah. Uh, then there's the other side, which is Captain Marvel. What the hell? Uh, Everything I, you wanted and more. Everything I wanted and more. I was, uh, I watched it. Probably 15 times since yep. it came out on yep. Tuesday. Yep. My first two were on mute on an iPhone. <laughs> Just the, uh, I mean, I love the time side. I love the, uh, I mean, they really encapsulated a lot of the plot elements very elegantly without giving a lot away. Yeah. Um, yeah very rare for the, uh, yeah. even this early in. It, it, it's, just, it's obtuse enough that people don't understand why she's punching an old lady on the bus. Right. And then, <laughs> well, rest assured, we'll find out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I love that Nick Cage has two eyes, and he he says, "I was, but, you know, Nick I'm Cage. Out. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Fury. Scrolls can do anything. It's true. Yeah, but... again, uh, uh, Fury saying, uh, yeah. Up until, up until now, I was ready to quit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I thought it was, again, uh, what Marvel does best, really setting the stage to peak interest and uh, oh, there's so much deliver. There's and deliver. so much expectation on this. I mean. When DC, who 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 eat in the shit bed, uh, managed to pull off a Wonder Woman movie, and they can't get anything else to stick. I mean, have you, have you seen the Aquaman trailer? It's like, oh my god, really? Well, yeah, I don't know. Um, oh, god, uh, dude. Uh, Chris and others are pretty optimistic. I don't know at, if at the very if I can give them anything, it, at least it looks like a fantasy movie compared to um, bad bad cloning of Nolan over and over and over again. So there's that. But yeah, I don't. But, but it, it, it's like oh, a, a surfer movie gone horribly awry. <laughs> and it's the, the the one thing I like is him him getting into the uh, enemy the 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 cobra sub and beating up of those cobra um, <laughs> those cobra deep sea diver guys. I thought that was part that was good, but yeah, but, yeah. yeah but I mean, so <sighs> but I mean, when DC manages to pull off Wonder Woman and Marvel haven't put a female led movie out in ten years and eighteen movies or whatever. Yeah, um, that's bad enough. Yeah. But the expectation's so high. And do they go out with Black Widow? Do they go with any of the female characters that have proven themselves to be popular in their, you know, their limited real estate in the Marvel universe? No, they do Captain Marvel, which is you know, which the fan, which the fans understand and are excited about the potential for that. But the average, you know, the mainstream viewer, which is really what Marvel does well, is bring in mainstream viewers, right? Yeah. The mainstream viewer has no idea what any of this is. And the fact that they can pull off enough hints at personality and character and 
and and a and a sort of a, a struggle arc and all this other stuff that you see. I mean, and a lot of that's trading on Brie Larson being the the kind of um, actress actress she is, and mm-hmm. you know, she's. I think she's definitely in the realm of subtle acting, right? I mean, if her strongest performances have always been where she's being very they're realist performances, right? She's not a very broad actress, so to speak, and um, I think. I think it's really interesting that, I mean, there's been some criticism on the male side. I, I saw this great thing today where they were talking about how a lot of the male dominated fan site that have fan sites have that written these uh, disparaging things saying, well, she should smile more. Oh my um, God. And then someone jumped onto Twitter and Oh, so someone actually put, uh, they, they photoshopped smiles onto her on a bunch of the promo images. And then someone else jumped in and said, oh, really? And then they started doing it to all the male characters in the Marvel Universe. And they just kept going and going and going. And I just checked shortly before we started this podcast. And they're still posting them. (laughs) So, fuck you. You know, smile more. I mean, talk about tone deaf. Yeah, can't you you be nicer? I mean, Jesus Christ. Uh, You sound like a robot that's in a really good mood. Me? Yeah. You're well, back. you know, I'm you're back. <laughs> the, uh, uh, it, it's just unbelievable, like the the, the fanboy syndrome and, and what happened to that poor actress in uh, Star Wars. Right. Right. We got mm-hmm. ridiculed, like not cute enough, doesn't belong. Like, like really? Yeah. Well, really? I'm optimistic. I'm super optimistic. It, there's. A, hmm. Let's put this. I mean, I, I, I will. Uh, I do have to push back a little on the. You know the the Marvel and female characters. I would say across the board, uh, female character development in the Marvel universe, universe is some of the best that you could ever hope for. So far, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it's true. It's not that enough they, of it, right? That, that they didn't have a lead female, but um, or a, a, a female with a as the lead and kind of a standalone film. But you take a look at you know Hela. You take a look at mm-hmm. uh, well, but Hela is actually she's rad. Yeah. And she's sexualized, but she's not. Um, she's not. Um, she she's drawn in some ways. I like her arc. I like her c- yeah. concept behind her. But it's not like she she has no growth whatsoever in the movie. She is still a, a generic right, right, right. Under, yeah, 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 yeah. But all of their movement, all of their moves towards good female characters, by and large, have been in the last few years. Yeah. Black Black Widow has been rad, but she's been sidelined. But Black Panther last few years yep see so black panthers female characters ran that movie yeah and uh uh you know uh, gamora for example in guardians mm-hmm. owns that but and, and, not, uh, and tessa giving, and tessa thompson in in thor ragnarok of course yep. yep and we're not giving uh credit to uh jessica jones Okay, but that's that's Marvel Netflix. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, but I'm saying, but I'm saying, over, I'm trying to take a broader view. Yeah, but okay. I, people shit all over um, Paltrow as Pepper Potts, but I think that I think that they've given that character a lot of um, forward progression and power in those yeah, yeah. in those movies. And I don't know. Anyway, we're way overdue. They've proven that they can put interesting characterization in female characters on film. And they have moved forward in bringing in female writers and even female yep. directors. And that's really yep. important, right? Like yep. that's well, going back to talking about Wonder Woman back in, back when we were first recording for the pod on that. When I looked over at my wife, who's worshipped Wonder Woman since she was a little girl, and she's slack jawed in the theater, right? Yeah. And then I yeah, asked yeah. her why she liked the movie and she was having trouble articulating it. And then I realized that what it was was that she 
she didn't feel um she didn't feel gross she was just mm-hmm. into it and i realized it was the female gaze of patty jenkins directing is mm-hmm. what makes wonder woman different than what happens to her in B- batman v superman and justice league right Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Wonder Woman was very different. It wasn't that she wasn't attractive or powerful or even sensual. She just was not filmed with a male gaze. And so I'm really excited for Captain Marvel because I want to see I want to see a female led superhero movie, but I want to see it where the character and the actress are allowed Mm -hmm. to be both badass and powerful, the most powerful in the Marvel Universe to date. Right. And Mm -hmm. physically brawling powerful, but also be feminine. Mm-hmm. Because the, that is a really that's something that Gal Gadot managed to do, but it's hard to do that. They Very. want you know audiences want them to be super want to be pseudo guys or they want them to be super feminine and they have trouble with them being both. Yeah, and I like that middle ground and I think that's what's exciting about it. Yeah, uh, and I, I, I'm excited about the plotline development to oh, uh, sure. you know Thanos and all that. So oh yeah, Ronan before he's the accuser and runs off. Yeah, and um, uh, and the Cree and all oh that. yeah, yeah yeah. So I so one of the things I thought of when I was watching this was, what if the Cree are what if the Skrulls are not necessarily the bad guys? What if the Cree yeah. are the bad guys, and the Skrull are neutral, or maybe the Skrull are going to be bad, or elements of the Skrull will be bad, like as in very specific individuals like Mendo's character, but you know. I hope this movie continues to push that the Cree are a bigger problem than they are. I almost see the Cree as like the space Americans in a way. I hate to yeah. say that, but you know what I mean? In terms of the way the world views America, sort of as a bully, I, I kind of get that vibe out of the Cree. The the the, uh, the galaxy cops. Got galaxy cops that no one asked for, right? So we just lost our... Um, our ultra patriotic and military audience, but anyway. So, Whatever. listen, yeah. the, the, I'm really intrigued by that whole direction. I'm so looking forward to that. I love that it's happening in the '90s, and I and I'm really interested to see how they connect to things without being overly obvious about them. Right. So deep. Yes. And well, deep cuts. Question, well, wait. But one question I have about this whole arc with Captain Marvel is: Are we going to see? some intersection with Thanos going after the Nova Corps for the power stone. I really wonder if they're going to use that at the end of the movie. Right. That That's how they're going to bring right. her back into it is that she's back. Yep. And, and he wipes out the Nova Corps and that's what brings her back to earth. Um, or brings her to Thanos's planet or wherever that I've lost track now where he was when he snapped and went into his little happy place. But, but the, uh, what I thought was brilliant was they've been saying, okay, this is not going to be an origin story. And and what we've seen out of even successful mo- mo- you know contemporary Marvel movies is they're still falling into the Phase One trap, right? Doctor <laughs> Doctor Strange and Black Panther both being very interesting movies, but both being very Phase One. Well, absolutely, yeah, yeah, right. Fairly generic yeah. origin story, and then face it, face a bad guy version of your exact self, and learn a lesson, and there you go. I think it's really interesting that they're they're like saying, well. It's not going to be an origin story. She's showing up fully formed and then going backwards in her in her mind to unlock the fact that maybe she has an origin here and there's a past in, on Earth and all that other stuff. I think it's fascinating. What a yeah. great way of doing it. Well, and, and uh, you know, to me, it goes back to the Nolan uh, memento thing. Mm-hmm. Like, is she going to come out and just be, you know, thrust in the situation? She's got to figure out things as they go and try to remember who the hell she is. Um 
you know, how far are they going to take it? So that's a really interesting question as well. Well, and it's an interesting, uh, diver- um, it's a diversion from the Peter Quill version of Space Human, right? Yeah. He was a kid on Earth, uh, space napped, still remembers Earth and is fond about it, but considers himself a galaxy a galaxy citizen and not a Terran yeah. anymore, right? Yeah. But he still has the memories of Earth and he has the memories of Earth culture and he's holding on to it and that's a, a, a big point of the story, obviously. Yeah. And, Captain Marvel yeah. is a space human that doesn't remember Earth and has no connection to it until it starts getting unlocked. I think that's really fascinating that she yeah. lands in a blockbuster and is like... Whoa. That was hilarious. That was great. Now, granted, granted, um, based on some time sequencing that other people have picked out, you know, little elements of the from the trailer and try to piece it around, it, it seems as if she might have been gone for about 10 years and came back. Like, mm-hmm. left in the 80s, arrived in the 90s, just based on things that things that you see in her Air Force training scenes and some other stuff. So, yeah. if that's the case... That in and of itself will be interesting to to come back 10 years late. So the world has changed in 10 years. You know, our culture escalates, our technology escalates. So I can see that also being shocking. Even if you do have memories of the past, it's going to be, you have a Rip Van Winkle kind of thing going yep. on. So anyway, so I guess it's safe to say we're pretty stoked to see that movie. Very stoked to see that movie. See you and in March. Then, see you in March. <laughs> see you in March. And then, and then soon thereafter again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm super stoked about that. Less, less so about Aquaman. Like you said, it's very fantastical. And maybe the thing I can't get out of my head when I'm watching those trailers is I just, I didn't like, I didn't like that stuff in Clone Wars. And I, and I don't think I like it now. (laughs) Like Clone Wars kind of ruin fantasy underwater worlds to me. Well, and with uh, impossible physics. Right. And how they're handling him here is just, Yeah, <clears throat> it's um, let's uh, make it like space only with bubbles. Yeah, and yeah. similar sort of problems with currents and things. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Anything? Uh, anything else in the current events spectrum? Uh, well, I'd, I'd like to talk about Danny Boyle. And, oh yeah, uh, Bond. Holy moly! Right. Yeah, yeah. What the hell? Well, so I, I, I've been yeah. digging a little. I've been digging a little deeper on that. And it sounds like there was a big spat between him and uh, Craig over who should be the supervillain. I'm not sure about that. Some of the reports said that, and I'm sure it's part of it. But at the same time, Craig was really supportive of Boyle coming on. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, it's possible, but I have a feeling that it's more about... I think that there's more... It could be a combination of things, right? But I think... I mean, there's also um, stuff talking about how the studio was um, not thrilled about his script treatment. Because it was very Russia Cold War stuff bringing the Russians back and I did they kind of maybe didn't want to do that so I don't know maybe so huh because uh, the stuff that I've been reading over in, in the Telegraph and some of the other UK uh-huh. releases they, they flipped that um, like that the, the producers wanted to bring uh, the Cold War element in and update it to the modern day huh. and it wasn't it wasn't boil at all Maybe so. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe it is that, maybe it is that inversion. I don't know. I think it's yeah. going to be a combination of things, but what I found nonetheless, was... Nonetheless, the, the, the selection of uh, the, the new director is fascinating. Well, but it's like, it's like saying, it's like saying I'm, you know, I got, I got a, I got a drinking problem. I got to put away the whiskey. Let's get out the vodka, right? Right. Like if they have concerns about a difficult uh, creator who has no problems walking away from major projects 
you bring Carrion? <laughs> they, they couldn't make a better choice. <laughs> now, that said, True Detective Season 1 was still my favorite of that stuff. I love his stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm optimistic. I'm actually more optimistic about him than I am about Danny Boyle. That's always weird. But, um... Say what? I, I was, that was always a weird choice, Danny Boyle and Bond. I would have never put them together like a train spotting Bond crossover. Well, yeah, I, I mean, mean, like, I was trying to think, think about that. Like, I don't think that necessarily it hurts to experiment. As long as they have the visual style right and they've got, you know, sort of a lot of the elements in place. I mean, you could argue that you could argue that the uh, Mission Impossible franchise was successful even as it shifted around in points of view behind its creative team. Oh, absolutely. And you could say the same thing for Fast and the Furious. Yeah. <clears throat> right? <clears throat> that they were... <clears throat> sorry, they um, they really demonstrate that they could handle a lot of different visionaries behind the camera and still be very successful, right? Yeah. But it was just... I I, 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 would, I would have been less surprised with Guy Ritchie doing... <laughs> than the balls is the... Be like, well, I guess it's as weird as Ang Lee doing Incredible Hulk, but um, yeah, well, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, right? Exactly. And <laughs> well, and this is something that Marvel is known for. I mean, granted, yeah. DC has been trying to do this too with Juan and a few others, but this is something that Marvel is known for: is taking taking franchise properties and giving them to interesting creators. Disney tried to do that with the Star Wars stuff, but every time they get nervous, they yank it back out of their hands. Yep, <laughs> but. But, you know, for the most part, they did do some experimentation. Um, so, I don't know. When I think about Boyle, though, like, I'm, I'm familiar with his train spotting stuff. Uh, Slumdog Millionaire was him, right? Yep. At, very well shot. And, now, Sunshine, granted, and yeah, Sunshine also. Which I haven't shot. seen, but I've read a lot about that. Yeah, Sunshine is a beautifully shot film. The, some of the best cinematography in space you'll ever see. Um, well, and that's the thing. Outside, outside yeah. of Stanley Kubrick, but, it, it, yeah. it, but still, it was marred by some jarring production choices but you know. sure but i mean these these days the director brings the cinematographer and oftentimes brings the writer if it's this kind of project anyway and they're not bringing the team of you know they're not being handed the the written by committee script they bring the writer they bring the these kinds of creators bring everybody with them and right. he and that's what he was doing here right bringing yep. on all the people that have made a certain um, tone to his movies, even if the content was very different. It's hard to imagine Train Spotting and Slumdog and and uh, Sunshine being the same person, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but they it, do have a tether. Yeah. They have a visual tether to them. Well, and stylistically, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Right. And um, and also from the scripts too. <clears throat> it is um, you talk about Marvel. I mean, the Russo brothers. Right. Right. Re- replacing Whedon was just a stroke of genius. Taika in Thor Ragnarok was, I mean, I, I would have never have right. predicted how, how stellar that outcome was and uh, could not have been more delighted with it. And, and even Kenneth Branagh doing the first yeah, uh, sure. Thor yeah. was, was brilliant. So, yeah. You know, okay, so here's an interesting thing. It's really hard. I hate when they try to just overly oversimplify it and say, well, who was, you know, who was the most influential or, you know, when, because everything is built off of the foundation of the previous things. And so, you know, when you talk mm-hmm. about the most powerful, uh, uh, Marvel movies or the most influential choices in Marvel stuff, 
you well, know, Iron Man's over. It's overlooked yeah. because it's so long ago. But Jesus, Stavro was a stroke of genius, <laughs> right? And 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 Robert Downey Jr. was right. a stroke of genius. Right. And at the time when they made those choices, a lot of people were like, "What?" Yeah, and uh, a largely improv script. Yeah. Well, that was also a very unusual thing to have happen in a franchise like this. So pre-franchise, anyway. But it's interesting. I often find myself thinking that. Uh, Taika Waititi is a breath of fresh air that Marvel really needed to completely open up the the potential of what their stories can be. Because well, he can take far out Kirby stuff and make it funny and pull you in and allow all that stuff to work. Yeah, and especially in the setup to Infinity War because Thor had to be completely reinvented. Right? right if, yeah. Thor, if Thor Ragnarok wasn't a success or it wasn't as successful as it was and completely tilting the Thor story on its head and melt and repour a lot of aspects of it. Um, you know, <laughs> Funny I, that you I, say I, that given all the building of the weapon and all that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it would have been that believable or that powerful, right. When Thor materializes on earth with a stormbreaker and well and yet, and yet and yet what's interesting about that is i mean there are some very funny stuff happening in infinity war there yeah, yeah. his interactions are hilarious but it's still a very serious movie but you but it's allowed to be serious because you still believe him you believe him post ragnarok like at that as yeah. even though i mean even what i okay so here's the thing cuz this is totally diverging from what i was trying to say but uh, when I was driving back from uh, Portland, it was 12 hours there and it was uh, 14 hours back. <laughs> and I and I took the coast on the way back because of the fire. And I had a lot of time in, behind the wheel. And at one point, I decided to do what I used to do when I was driving up and down the California coast years ago, which was I used to record uh, mini discs. I would do audio recordings of movies I liked and I would just listen to them in the car, right? So Or on the motorcycle. So, so I didn't have any of that prep for me, but I went on to Netflix when I had cell service. And I was able to find, you know, I was poking around looking for some stuff. And then I found that Ragnarok had been launched on Netflix. I was like, great. So I fired it up and I was in and out of coverage areas, obviously, as I'm going down the coast. But I was listening to that movie and I could see all the imagery very clearly because I've seen it enough times. Right. But it was just just listening to it. I was laughing and loving it and really enjoying it. Just audio. (laughs) And so. I mean, it cannot be overstated how much he made so many choices in that movie. So many bold, irreverent choices that didn't decon- they, de- they deconstructed, but they didn't um, they didn't show disrespect. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing. You see a lot of post 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 modern takes on kind of hokey material, and it's kind of mocking the material, right? Yeah, I mean, like even- Robocop. Yeah. Yeah. Robocop. Yeah, yeah. But whereas. In this case, yeah, he was making fun of a lot of stuff, but he was doing it in a way that showed that he really did care about these characters, and it made them better. So what I was getting at... so to me... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, just what I was getting at was that it was hard. I feel... I keep feeling like he is the... He is the thing that has unlocked Marvel for the next 20 movies. But again, I wonder if he could have existed without James Gunn, right? And then also... um, Ryan Coogler's work on Black Panther, while it was much more formulaic in the story structure, some of the bold choices made in that movie are going to carry on in many, 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 many movies to come. Yeah, so, so I don't know. So, 
Yeah. So to me, to me, it came back. It enhanced the relatability. Yeah. And the ethos of Thor relative. I mean, you go back to, you know, uh, Avengers one. You know, does Mother Noah's house wears her drapes? And yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, okay, Legolas, let's do this. And uh, yeah. You know, and and everybody put in front of Thor because he's you know a god and you know shits Marvel and everything, and I mean even even in in the the original Thor and, and Branagh did a great job with this of the redemption tale of the the prodigal son and all that. Um, it, it it just it was such a transformation. You take a look at uh, Thor Dark World and then Thor Ragnarok is like what? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's an amazing transformation and that and I think you know I think Deadpool had a lot to do with the, you know, respectful irreverence yeah, sure. to the material. I think, sure. I think, I think we've seen a shift in the, in the Marvel pantheon writ large on that. Um, but I just, you know, in Thor Ragnar, what are you, the, the God of hammers? Like, you no, know, <laughs> right. And, and it, it, those are really Lord of thunder, <laughs> Lord of thunder. Like, Oh, he's going to ask guard. Ask guard. Uh, <laughs> but that's Goldblum just gold blooming about in a perfect way. And it's not, yeah, yeah. I just, Oh God, I could not get enough of it. And, I, this, they, and, and listening and they, and they to it. And they had to bring Goldblum back. They had to, in yeah. some way, they had to bring Goldblum. Well, and listening to it in the truck, it was hilarious because like some of these things that were, I remember really loving, they were extra accentuated because all I could hear was not only the lines but the way they were delivered. Like I was just dying when the Quinjet's like saying, "Strongest Avenger there is," you know, <laughs> and unlocks it. And like listening to Ruffalo's, um, on the just being on the edge of a, of an anxiety attack in his whole thing, it's yeah. so good. Well, and, and, I don't know. yeah, and the relationship between Ruffalo and Hemsworth, right? I mean, that those scenes between those two were just brilliant. Yeah, and 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 it was and it was continued on in Infinity War, right? Mm-hmm. It was just yeah. So the way that they sit together, this mosaic of relationships, which is what really dominates things, you know, under the most dire universe-ending circumstances, sure. uh, was you know even to a certain extent with Gamora and Thanos, they really. It could have been complete lip service and completely just a plot vehicle with no depth or nothing there, right? Right. And, and they still they still salvaged it, in my opinion. It, it was one of the the less strong parts of that arc through Guardians and Infinity, but it was still pretty compelling relative to things that we've seen in other pantheons, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, and there's something to be said for the fact that Thor's continuing through that sort of hero's journey, right? Right. Like his, his ego, even as much as he was starting to evolve in Ragnarok, his ego was what led to the blunder to hit the chest instead of the face. Right. Yeah. Should have gone for the head. Should have gone for the head. Well, and, and, and and I also think that that's, you know, if I was going to predict something and then, and here I go, I will, I think Thor is going to be the one that gets axed in, uh, Infinity War Two. By his talking. own Stormbreaker, he has an axe on the back. No, no, I, I think it's going to be him and Thanos, and it's going to be like self annihilation, mm. right? That yeah. the the only way to make it is to to <clears throat> take it out. Well, it's a funny that you would say something like self annihilation because that's a wonderful, perfectly segue. seamless segue into our first Kraken review of the evening, Annihilation, the movie that no one saw. Which is just a damn shame. 
I'm really interested in having this conversation with you as someone who loves the creator of the project, loves the acting talent in the project, and loves the co- type of and the and the soundtrack and the type of movie it is, but didn't have any context from reading a book. And then you came at it just like Expanse. You came at it from the book side first, and I was like, well, you should see what happened in the book. So I'm really interested in your take in this movie because. I was thinking about this for days. I still do, actually. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, I don't know where you want to start, but the, I mean, the, 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 it's actually a series of books, right? Yeah, talk, uh, talk about that a little bit. So it is, it is a, a great series of books created by Jeff Vandermeer. And it really kind of takes the, the sci-fi genre on its head a lot of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's definitely kind of a, this postmodern element. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, it kind of blends the sci fi and the supernatural and kind of the xenophobia. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens when something occurs on planet Earth that creates this front that is slowly encroaching on the rest of the world? And they, they, they send agents in to. They don't need any of them again for a certain subset that comes back out and they view them as double agents or secret agents and stuff. Yeah. And so the first one uh, with uh, uh, Annihilation, it was the first kind of definition of that entire uh, approach. Okay. And um, so if you, if you read the Southern Reach trilogy, so Annihilation, Authority, and Acceptance, it's got these really nice subtle cues of big government totalitarianism and weakness at the same time mm-hmm. uh, humans caught at the interface between these you know huge events and still trying to maintain um a, a certain degree of relatability and humanity in just totally alien circumstances right and, and yeah. by the time you're done with annihilation like literally at, at the end of annihilation i had to read it again to oh, try wow. and understand what the hell just happened Right, because it's got the different perspectives, different storylines, and uh, very complex um, narrative tapestry, if mm-hmm. you will, mm-hmm. that that was really compelling. I, so talk- I don't, I, I, yeah. I don't want to get I don't want to get too into because I, I want to you know focus on the movie, but but I will say that out of any movie adaptation that I have ever seen, right, like mm-hmm. like uh, Heart of Darkness or you know some of these literary works that are just very difficult to translate what i did find the most compelling about this movie is that it did a great job of emulating the eeriness mm-hmm. and the alienness mm-hmm. of what was going on because uh, as these characters are thrust into this you could call it a dimensional rift you know not mm-hmm. like cloverfield where you know big boom bam monsters they it's actually this creeping insidious um malevolence that comes in dread and infects them and makes them do things or turns them into things that are just effing horrific and uh well so yeah. i want i mean and and it's interesting because i really think that you, you have to at some point go okay so here's the books now let's put it down and talk about this project because you know it's i mean i think it's interesting that garland even said i made this i wrote this script based on my memory of the books like my mm-hmm. image like my image of the books right yeah and it was a very conscious thing. He's a very intelligent person. It's not like he was half-assing it. He didn't no. want to go and do an adaptation of that storyline. He wanted to do his take, his takeaway from it, and take his put his own spin on it. And the fact that he got the vibe right, even if the the thematic thrust and the details are different, I think that's yeah. pretty impressive, right? 
But I, yeah. but I want to talk about the concept of horror in general. Okay, I'm not yeah. a horror lover. I don't watch horror movies in general. Like you know, scare like like axe murder movies and things that go bump in the night movies. I just don't. You know, I, the co- the contrived horror kind of storyline doesn't doesn't it doesn't interest me. But what I do like are science horror, to some degree body horror, but specifically related to science horror, yep. and fear of the unknown type horror. And so that yes. can that can fold into ghost stories, um, uh, giant monsters in the forest, that kind of thing. But also, I really like pure science horror. Hard SF often works for me because things are happening to people in mm-hmm. a way that they are not prepared for, they don't really understand, and they're not equipped to mo- to adapt to it. Um, and of course, I allude to Expanse with that. But so this movie was just—I was the target market for this thing because yeah, it, it was gothic, and it had that Appalachian goth, deep South sort of weird. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was not. I mean, it was it was Florida, whatever. But I mean, it, it, wherever it is. But it's but but, but, but Area X was the perfect hybrid. Yeah. Of all of these archetypes, right? It the reminded swamp, me the forest, the verdant, like oh God. nature, nature run amok. End right? of season one of True Detective. Yep, that whole layer and that, that I mean, and I know of of that actual site. I understand the history of it, but the urgency and melancholy and sort of like just existential dread in Annihilation really reminded me of True Detective season one and how they use the environment. The, the natural environment as a character and made it creepy. Right? right and, I mean, it's really yeah, similar. And, and, and that's the thing. Like, Area X is this alternate warping of what is so familiar. Right. And turning it into something alien and malevolent and completely dominant. I think it's interesting that there's some thematic components. I, I enjoyed it just on the face of it, what it was. Like, the story as it was unfolding, I liked. I was plenty into that. But like I, th- I thought about it for days afterwards, and I was thinking about these themes of how she was cheating on her husband, yep. and she was conflicted about things about her life and herself. And the leader of the expedition had a, you know, late stage cancer and had a certain exhausted realism about her role, and her motivation was very specific. And some of the other characters had these elements about them that seem to suggest overall that people wanted change but were afraid of the change and what it would do and here we are in in an environment that is pure change (laughs) and entropy and entropy yeah but 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 also to me is that uh, all the characters that you meet who don't have any names so they maintain that which is great right from the book um but they bring their own ruin with them right yes yes right that 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 all their inner doubts, all their inner demons are the things that ultimately doomed them in area X. Yes. Right. Yes. yes. And, and, and so it's like, um, you know, and, and watching the a- human, watching the human, um, watching our monkey brains react to trauma and horror is always really interesting to me in stories. Like I mm-hmm. was just loving it when what's her name ties everybody up and is getting paranoid and you know, things like that, like the reactions, how much, trouble was just because people were not honest with each other and open and and objective about their data finding it was all very emotional and creepy and they were all on just the edge of hysteria the whole time and they devolved out of 
pure panic, and I really enjoyed mm-hmm. that. But not yeah. all. Not all. Tessa Thompson's character was really engrossing, too. She yeah. just shed it off and just embraced it. She walked into the forest and became one. It was just like... Well, because she she knew the, the alter, uh, um, you know, <laughs> the hopelessness of the situation, right? And so you either give in to fate or you fight it. I don't know. But at the same time, given her, her character's background and what she was describing that she was seeing, I almost felt like she was that. She was a low-key version of the character that says, you know, embrace the radiation, right? Like, I felt like it wasn't so much um, <laughs> depressed. Like, it wasn't resi- she wasn't resigned to her fate. I felt like she had reached no, a she, point she where welcomed she, it. she welcomed she, it. And, and that may have been a, a, a psychotic break. I don't know. But she was definitely like, well... <laughs> But, but it, it also speaks to some in, – in the later books, it kind of touches upon this. Um, and you could even you could even make parallels to Solaris. You can mm-hmm. make parallels to, you know, to a, to a brooder plot vehicle like uh, Apocalypse Now in the relation to Heart of Darkness. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could even – you know, the sci-fi parallel to Event Horizon yeah. um, that, you know – maybe this is just a metaphor for, you know, letting go and being at peace of things and taking that next stage in your own personal evolution. Mm-hmm. Right. And in this case, it may be, you, you, if you, the more you hold on, the worse it gets like Jacob's ladder, mm-hmm. right. Which is one of my favorite, uh, Robin's movies, but it's, um, you know, that it, because it's so alien and so other, what if this is just a, a like a transition space that, Perseverance may not be the the best modality to getting through to that next stage. And, you know, is it really catharsis? Is it really kind of like a purgatory burning off all your fears and everything else and then taking that next step? The last scene that I don't, you know, kind of implies that, but it's. um, I want to talk about that. But so, so one of the first things, one of the first things I found interesting was that. Natalie Portman's character... I mean, Natalie Portman is just, like, a treasure, okay? She's just killing it left and right. But one of the things I loved about her character was that she was... She was revealed through through the film as having more to her and more layers, just as the other characters were becoming aware that she had a connection to her... What turned out to be her husband, and, you know, there was more to her than meets the eye. But we also, as an audience, sort of see that, wait, she's not just a... A scientist. She was also ex-military. Right, she's ex-military. She's very pragmatic. And watching her adapt to things was really interesting as the narrative core of the movie. Yeah. When she just put drops a knee and starts pounding away at the alligator, I was like, well then. (laughs) Like, (laughs) she's, I mean, like, that's the thing I just loved about the design work. I I am still on the hunt to see if they did a... uh, a making of book on the design work on this film, because I just thought so many, some of the things I wasn't as keen on, but most of the choices were really compelling. I could have mm-hmm. seen it go a slightly different way than, you know, like my personal style. I would have liked to see a couple of different things, but the idea it's much easier to, to uh, sort of critique that after it's created. <laughs> right. So like yeah. thinking about it from scratch, like the way that they slowly led us to, the idea that something's playing with DNA and just trying things um, and causing entropy in in genetic structures, and then the closer you get to the epicenter of the landing, the worse it gets. Yeah, uh, it was a really great um, exponential 
level of creepiness when you see i mean when you start to see like when she's like saying okay so these plants don't make sense and this is why and all that that was really interesting to me and things look yeah. different and everything else which is great but also and the light quality under the dome was neat mm-hmm. but when you get to the albino alligator attack it's just it's initially it's like oh it's just a giant it's a, an oversized weird alligator okay but then they open it up and it's got rows and rows and rows of like shark teeth and it's got human teeth and other teeth. That was mm-hmm. fucking great body horror. So what going back to that thing about science horror and body horror, what I think is really fascinating about that is that there's a certain mortal dread about our bodies. And I, I, I'm sure it's just mortality and, and, a, and the curse of being sentient. But I think it's absolutely I think um, body horror is really fascinating because it's very realistic. Right. Well, that's like you, the thing, right? John right. Connor's the thing. Right? There was a the, lot the, of thing yeah. in this movie, right? Yeah. You yeah. find a weird, you find a weird oozing black spot on your arm, and you're gonna freak the fuck out. That's yeah. anything from a, a, you know, like a poison to a bite to a cancer to some other thing, and it's like, and the less it's easily explained, the creepier it gets. Yes, right? and the more, and the more you try to hide it. Right, 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 right. And that's a classic, and that's a trope in these kinds of movies, right? It's yeah. like the vampire movies and those kinds of things. It's like, or yeah. like, uh, um, uh, what's his name in Game of Thrones? You know, just put the sleeve down. You know, everything is fine. You know, I don't have stone well, disease or whatever. Stone skin, stone skin. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But so I, I was totally stone in. Stone skin. Yeah, yeah. I was totally in when the alligator attacked, and then when you get to the thing, I'm, I still think that the bear was the best thing in the movie. That's not the first time we've seen the concept of a creature that has learned to do a mimic. Yeah. Uh, C.J. Cherry had a whole book where there's there are creatures in this on this planet that they were on that um, all of the adaptations were psychic in nature. So yeah. it was animal adaptations, but they all had some element of psychic ability. And so you had things like creatures that would cast their sound and their physical presence into different places, you know, like yeah. echoes of themselves somewhere else other than where they were so they could sneak up and then emulating the smells and sounds of other things and I just you know uh, creating um, emotions and fears in you and that kind of thing well the, even even like the Blair Witch Project right right where the, the, the <laughs> that that scene at night yeah uh, and there's a total panic and there's a total like what the fuck is going on uh it, it reminded me kind of that that first tent scene at night yeah. in Blair Witch, yeah. and it and, and it was really just incredibly well done. And and the casting I thought was, you know, it's also very interesting in the all female mm-hmm. makeup, right? And mm-hmm. it, that's true in the book. And Oscar Isaac I think did a really good job of the the, the central role in uh, Natalie's. And I, I have to correct myself; they did use names in the movie. They did not use names in the book. Yeah, but they didn't right. reference them. Right, not so much. They used them but, once, and that was it. And frankly, yeah. they, even the introduction of her into on, onto the team, they basically were like, "This is so and so. This is so and so. This is what we're backgrounds are." And then yeah. go, like it was very, um, it was only almost fatalist. But the thing about the bear thing that I liked was very, <laughs> you just fixated on the bear. You just yeah. love the bear. No, well, listen. So the, here's the thing that I I really appreciated. Okay, if you create a creature, most projects, less nuanced projects, would create a bugaboo hit you with it and then once the so you would have the initial shock of of its ability or its power or its thing its gimmick and then you would be aware of it for however long that's part of the story and then it's done but in this case they gave you its power or its 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 adaptation 
long before you find out what it is so that when you actually mm-hmm. find out what it is, it's even scarier. It's you even heard worse. her run because yeah. it went and snatched the one and dragged her off. And you hear her screaming and screaming and screaming. She was screaming for so long and it was haunting them. Like yep. she's just, we got to go out there and get her. No, we can't. And it sounded like she was having the worst, longest, most protracted, horrible death. And then when it comes into the cabin in, or in the station and you mm-hmm. find out that it's been echoing her screams that whole time. Mm-hmm. And you realize she'd been dead that whole time and it was making the screams of her do- of her death. It was repeating her, her last most fearful, most horrifying moments over and over again. Then it made it that much creepier. Yeah, I love that. I loved it. I thought it was so incredible because they took this one concept of unseen imagined horror and then they made it even worse. <laughs> like that's not easy to do, right? It's really hard yeah. to up your it's really hard to up your own imagination on how bad something is. In movies usually when they show you something, it's not as bad as what you imagined it was going to be. So, did you watch did you ever see The Ruins? No. So, what's in, The Ruins? It it's a movie that uh has a its basis is this old uh, Mexican temple, Inca temple, is populated by this uh, semi-intelligent species of vines uh-huh. that that feed on people. And there's actually a really protected scene where the, these vines actually, after they kill someone, they hear the screams, they actually mimic the screams. Okay. And so at, ni- at night, they slowly torture everybody else with uh, these screams. And it is just as haunting as, uh, well, it, I would say Annihilation was much stronger more um powerful but there's there are movies that have used that in the past to great effect but i mean to me though the the thing is it was a horrifying they did really interesting things it wasn't just a flayed skin off the bone of the of the face of the face of the bear it was like a mutation it was like all not a lot of stuff was not right about that creature it wasn't just it was not right it was not right it was definitely more than just a flailed bear like it was a it was a it was a it was a tra- it was a transporter accident gone wrong, but the <laughs> fact that it's walking around and sniffing and and you know just breathing and making screams was scary enough. But it was yeah. specifically that it continued to make that it was like sniffing around between them between each chair as it was doing that thing, doing what your Great Dane does, you know. <laughs> but then and you know like the whole thing yeah. about like you know don't don't panic or whatever it was that they were not supposed to do. But the fact that it would be like sniff, sniff, and then make a, <laughs> make a and make their friends scream just to yes. honest breath was just like so fucking horrible. It, had, it was like it didn't matter what they did with the bear. It was perfect. Yeah. Have I told you I was really into the bear? <laughs> yeah, you, I, I get it. I get it. You're really into the bear. The bear haunted me. Like, yes. I think I dreamt about that bear. Yes. A scream bear. A uh, so. Not, 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 not a. <laughs> Not Winnie the Pooh. No. Um, but maybe in a way. That's thematic. Well, okay. So so then, yeah. And so then as we get a, we get closer and closer to the core, things get crazier. You get to see a lot of those, like, body shapes. They, they would look like really bad Burning Man sculptures. And then you start to realize that those are people that have, I don't know, just, I don't know, chlorophylled out or whatever it is. You know, they went, they went flora. <laughs> yes. And became vine structures that simulated their body. Um I kind of thought that was interesting because it, I didn't. It didn't really resonate with me design-wise, but I realized it was because I was looking at it the wrong way, so to speak. Like I was seeing it and thinking, "Well, that should be a bunch of spinal cords and 
loose rib cages and things because it's trying to create a human. That's not what it was doing. At that point, it was doing such radical shifts that that uh, uh, animal was becoming plant. Like it was this. It was the overall mass of the thing that was changing, and not the structural. Uh, like the infrastructure of it, I guess. So that makes sense. It was very sculptural. It was quite yeah. literally sculptural. Um, but it was creepy. It was creepy to see them. It, it, it did evoke sort of that Terminator Two, uh, you know, blasted skeletons in the in the in the playground kind of thing. Well, uh, so uh, to me, it, it kind of it spoke to a different thing to me because it, it kind of showed the awfulness of being the product of DNA. Yeah. And and you know gene yeah. drives and shuffling and the, the 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 walls between species getting blurred and you know kind of like uh, the expanse yeah right? where absolutely it, right where the, the, these things just are mutable they are they are fodder for you know remaking and manipulation and that that kind of self betrayal of what makes you human turning into something else or transmogrifying into your worst nightmare that that speaks to a much deeper fear about yeah. about manipulation and and your stability in the universe right well i was thinking while i was watching this whether uh our our reaction or at least my reaction to this movie would be the same if i hadn't read the expanse because this yeah, movie was enough. doing yeah. Yeah. this movie was doing things in a way in some cases it was implying things that we know happen in Expanse that we haven't seen in the in the show yet, but yeah. the potential for it right. in the books explains this. the The idea that we're a petri dish and they're just putting you know two from column A and one from column B and seeing what happens, and the fact that it's happening autonomically, right? Because yeah. there's no overarching. I appreciate that there was a, a bugaboo in the center and that there isn't a, a, a xenobiological form in there. Uh, in the books, it's probably very different than what they felt the construct was in the movie. But I was never convinced that it was mo- voluntarily making these. Um, it wasn't terraforming. Its very nature was causing these things to happen. Yeah. I felt. I didn't think it was actually. Exp- I didn't think it was playing with a chemistry set. I felt like its very nature was a virus, and that virus was spreading, and and tweaking DNA. More and more but, radically, the closer you got to its core. But but I, I will say there was something. I, well, maybe in the books, maybe I'm bringing it over in my impression of the books. That's fine. There, there was there was more of an um, a searching, yeah, function, right? Yeah, sure. That, that there was some kind of quest that the shimmer was trying to do and to achieve, and it, and it, and by manipulating the form and the function. But there was also the the mental side of it. Like when Kane comes back and he finally yeah. realizes who he is, he'd like self-terminate, right? Yeah. And wait, 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 wait. We'll get to that. I'm not sure if that's, oh, yeah. that wasn't my takeaway. Well, yeah. No, okay. But, but even so, I think that you can say that, yes, there was purpose. It wasn't, um, it wasn't purposeless design, right. but I didn't think it was, it, I thought it was autonomic. It was a program. Not, it, I wouldn't say a program, yeah. not a program. But if the I, I felt like definitely it was terraforming, and definitely it was trying to find the right combination of things that would be um, that would fit some greater design goal. Right. So, but we don't understand that goal. It's not a survival goal. It's some other goal. Right. Right. And, and that came with the meteor that crashed by the right. lighthouse to begin with. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, and so, but but not but, so much that a creature is is poking around going like I need to I need to tweak this species or this environment to make it habitable to me. 
I didn't think it was that, and I didn't even think it was expanse style where you know I've got to build building blocks. I thought it was more um, there is a there is an inherent logical structure or illogical structure, entropic structure that that creature that's that life form expects. Well, or, it was, or, yeah, go ahead. No, uh, to me, uh, maybe it's just reasserting its own view of natural order. That's right. That's what I'm saying. Right. When so she it, sees it, it in the cen- in the center of the cave, yeah. it's this amazing acid trip of this constant inverting anus, right? Blah, 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 blah. And at that moment, it hadn't it hadn't bonded into a human. It didn't bond into its human host and 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 copy it, right? Like it had just it was just this thing. And to me, it was like it was still. I don't know. Well, let's get to that. Maybe because no, no, you, you have some input it, about it, what was but, happening. But, but, but this is an important point because uh, when Kane comes back, I don't think that's the real Kane. Right? I, obviously, it's not because yeah. of what, what happened with the videotape. But it, to me, sure. Yeah. So, okay. Sir. Kane is the husband. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, all right. So, just in terms of narrative, when she gets to the. So, when the. Um, psychiatrist who's leading the operation runs Jennifer off. Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason the, Lee. Again, incredible actress. Yeah. Remember, no matter where you are, that's the place to be. I, well, I'm thinking two-sex mention it, but yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I was throwing some fast times in there, but okay. So she runs ahead and she goes to the lighthouse and then Portman's character follows her. Follows her. Oh, so she sees the hole. That, I think the beauty of that set the minimalism of that set that mm-hmm. you take this lighthouse, which is a man-made structure and inside it's got this incredibly weird Adobe style, smooth plastery finish to it. Mm-hmm. It was so subtle. Think about yeah, the design. That's why I want, I want a book on the design on this movie because the, the how to get there. I like, I would never have got, I love projects where I could not have gotten there on my own. Right. Like mm-hmm. I never would have come up with the inside of an eggshell or the, or a womb as the epicenter of the of of the lighthouse strike, like that was a really brilliant design choice. Also, and, considering, and, and, but 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 also a significant departure from the book. Ah, because the book the book what happens in the lighthouse is completely friggin' different. Okay, completely friggin' different. But I'm gonna anyway. read, read that book, so you can't tell me. But okay, the but but in terms of this movie, though, this is we've we've blanched all of the outside world. This is a womb, right? Mm-hmm. It's a womb and it's a womb with a cancer in it. And that's inc- or a tumor or something. That's like an incredibly potent body horror image. The environment, the natural set of the lighthouse was body horror. And I thought that was really fascinating, but anyway, so she but, but, sees, can I ask a question? Yeah, yeah. Up on that? So who's the cancer in that scenario? Because to me, I, I, I I'm pretty sure it's humanity. I, I don't I don't think the the the, the shimmers well, have a, a dysfunction. I think it's finally learning how to finally adapt and taking the next form that needs to to go to that next stage. Uh, well, okay, so I was going to go there too. So, right. but before we get into, but before we go to what happens in the cave, because I think you're right, and that's and I was going to say that exact same. I think I, we're on the same page on that. But mm-hmm. when she's there and she sees the blasted body with the phosphorus flash, and then she sees the video thing, and she runs the video, and she sees. That it's Kane. That it's Kane videotaping himself blowing up. It's him telling the next person who sees this that, like, he he already knows that he's been cloned, Mm -hmm. right? Which means, so so my question there is, 
is the alien life form a hive mind? Like, has it already branched off? Or is it creating... Because it seems to be creating... It seems to be evolving itself in the in the in the hole. But at that moment, at that time, it suggests in that video, it suggests that it did the same thing to him that it did to Portman. Right. But but I think it 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 the I would say that Kane was like kind of the, the one off. Yeah. The, the the first, right? And the the humanity and the desire to go home and the desire to see Portman again and reconnect uh was uh, a missense error yeah right well, well so okay that, that, so that, that, that wasn't the perfect blending that it, it needed to propagate but do you think that when it molded itself after because it wasn't just physiologically mo- ma- mapping no no no, no it's yeah. also mentally mapping because it's actually cloning mm-hmm. but but hybridizing it right so yeah. when it did that to and assuming it's a hive mind which i'm not okay. sure it is okay but when it did that to him and his number one drive is I got to get home mm-hmm. and I got to get to my Portman mm-hmm. and, and, and as we are all want to do um, specifically with Portman. So my question is, <laughs> did that pattern on the sentience about her such that when she entered the cave and it starts doing the dance and starting to pattern her, mm-hmm. is it because it's reaction to her is very different than its reaction to the psychiatrist. Yes. It ate the psychiatrist. Yes. It took it took biomass and DNA and said, Whoa, all right, I'll use that. Yeah, welcome to carbon drive. Yeah. <laughs> but with Portman, it did this whole fucking love affair. It did this whole thing. And I wondered if it's because it already patterned that it's supposed to be obsessed and interested and intrigued and and in wonder or in awe of her because it got that from him. I, I, I think there's a part of that. I also think that there's a part that uh, if you remember back in the start of the movie when they first get to the station and they're looking at the shimmer and uh, Portman's character reaction to it is very different than everybody else's. Well, that's true. Uh, she, and, right. and even even, even the like uh, even the conversation she had with Kane at the very beginning of the movie. Sure. Like there's kind of a self-selection pressure. Sure. Right? sure. That, that, that I think uh, is part of it as well. But obviously the memories of Cain and the feelings and the, the mental map of his relationship with her obviously influenced the It seems like it. It seems like it. Right? That, but also, yeah, she's, yeah, yeah. But she's it, classic it, don't fear the reaper, right? Like her reaction yeah. to things, even in the, during the bear attack, she was the one who was like, you know what? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> like yeah. she get over it and and actually all the way in she was seeing stuff that would make your that would make would crack you would, mm-hmm. would make you lose your shit as happened to people obviously as happened to the other crew in the video the jacob's ladder effect right as i kept mm-hmm. thinking about it because i'm going back in the body the body horror thing one of the most vivid memories i have in that in that realm is uh jacob's ladder when the the guys got gotten a grenade blew out his belly or whatever. And then he's trying to crawl away. Remember they were all crazy and they were, you know, in the experiment and they were all eating, basically attacking each other. And the one guy's trying to crawl away and his intestines have been snared on mm-hmm. something and he's being fucking caught yeah. by his own intestines. That stuck with me forever. <laughs> like it still sticks, sticks with me. So it's very powerful imagery. Yeah. Yes, it is because there's, you know, in terms of body horror, uh, your innards coming out is probably way up there, right? Like in terms yes. of like not, 
um, you know, sex stuff and 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 your innards coming out. Those are pretty base base uh, brainstem level panics that we have. Can you describe its form? No. So I know what you're thinking. You uh, you come to the shows, maybe you check out all the sweet art prints that are available from Deeply Dapper and possibly Third Rail Design Lab, and you say to yourself, but I have so many prints. Tom, I have so many prints. What do I do with these prints? I have the answer for you. Put them in a portfolio sleeve, make a coffee table book out of it. I think it's great. All your friends, your loved ones, your auntie, they'll come over, they'll look at that. It'll be a great conversation starter. However, let's say you need something a little bit more, you know, a little bit bigger, a little bit bolder. Good news. Both Deeply Dapper and Third Rail Design Lab now have posters available for you at 20 by 30. Full archival quality, beautiful posters of a select number of designs ready for you to hang up in your home, your dorm room, your place of business, your jail cell, whatever it happens to be. We have it for you. You'll love it. So go to DeeplyDapper.com or ThirdRailDesignLab.com or both and get the poster of your choice. Possibly some prints, too, and also all the other stuff. There you go. There's an ad. What do you think I do when you're away? You think I'm out in the garden pining, looking up at the sky? <laughs> I'm not going to lie. We took a brief break, um, but we're back. It was, a, it was a pudding break. We had to get some pudding. <laughs> a pudding break. We're back. <laughs> my wife, my, my lovely wife brought me cold pizza, and here we go. So, the, the lighthouse, you go down into the core... And oh, can, can, sorry, can, can, can I just offer please one do. little bit? So how powerful is it to the entire movie, and it was in the book as well, that the lighthouse, like this beacon of hope mm-hmm. for humanity, right? The, 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 the guardian against the rocks uh, and, and also isolated and desolate out in the Right, field. that's Nothing what I saw, world, yeah. Right? And so the the imagery there and and the conflict of stereotypes and and uh common interpretation i thought was just gripping it was in the book and it was very well done in the movie as well so it is yeah. so it was so pivotal that it hit on the lighthouse when it crashed yeah, yeah. and my my images of a lot imagery of a lighthouse in my mind being from the west coast where there are no lighthouses mm-hmm. but it's i understand the concept of why it exists and what it does but my images of it are you're isolated. You're out there on the edge, on the outcropping, mm-hmm. and the waves are crashing against you. And the storm's coming, and your and the lighthouse master or the light lighthouse keeper is really risking things by being there. Yes, it's, it's a thankless. I mean, not thankless job, but it's a it's a it's a perilous job to be out there because you're completely exposed. If the if you're overrun on that in that lighthouse by by you know the like waves of a storm or something. There's no, there's no escape hatch, right? No, no, no. Yeah, you, 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 it, it is a solitary outpost. And so, is, yeah. my, so it's funny that you say that. You, I mean, you're, you're coming at it as well. Hey, this is like, this is an inversion on, or, or I should say, it's a subversion of the concept of the, of the positive affect of a lighthouse. And I mm-hmm. was seeing it as if you inf- if if the if the lighthouse represents humanity, and you know, us alone in the universe reaching out and trying to just, you know, whatever, being this this, this, this core of, of our existence, and mm-hmm. it is infected, then there's, it's absolute hopelessness, right? 
Yeah, the, uh, one of our fundamental warning signs has gone away. Mm-hmm. And and uh, well, also you know, there's light. It's about yeah. perception, right? Well, and and what you know, this like light, a moth drawn to the flame or to the light, right? It's uh, the twisting of it and turning it into something a beacon of not rightness. Right. Right. <laughs> right. I was I was listening to a, I was listening to a, a very long. As I was wont to do on my long drive, listening to a very long podcast interviewing Scott Derrickson about Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. And look, I like Doctor Strange enough, but I didn't. I didn't really. I've only seen it once, and I didn't. Um, I wasn't aware of the subtext of a lot of that script until and and the choices made until I was listening to him talk about it, and I was like, wait a minute, this is all about time, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there are so many layers upon layers about our relationship with time and the concept of time in that movie. He's like a he's a former tripper. I mean, that guy is he's deep into he, he has some experience with yeah. altered perception. Okay, when you listen to him talk, you understand that he's 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 playing on a few acid trips of his own. When when they did their 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 acid trip sequence with Doctor Strange, I mean, he was just pulling a few select things from his archives, right? <laughs> so so you know, from that perspective, when I was watching, well, actually, when I was thinking about Annihilation, I was thinking about the fact that. The perversion of the lighthouse mm-hmm. has a lot to do. It also speaks to the idea that the whole the narrative structure of the movie is that from the beginning of the movie we're doomed and we don't even know it because the the cane that came back is already you know he he's the first a product he's the first external product of patient zero right like he's already out and among them yeah yeah no, and, and, and and it's already over. And we don't know. And there's right. already signs. Even the beginning of the movie, I was aware of it, and I wrote it down. I have my, I have a something in a future seg- a segment I'm going to call um, um, scalp- Scalpy Scribbles. And that's a nod to uh, the excellent 90s uh, pirate movie, uh, Cutthroat Island, which... Oh, I thought you, you were going to say Goonies. Got okay. a really bad rap. No, not Goonies. Okay, Cutthroat that's Island. a very different thing. Okay. Got to put the map on the skull on the scalp, right? So anyway, yeah. so I, one of the things I noted in in my because I I love my notes when I watch the movies because it's like, you know, it's 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 time sequential, right? So I can see what I was thinking as I'm progressing through the movie. But one of the first things I wrote down for this movie is that there were two different shots of her hand behind the water glass that they give her when they're interrogating her, and so you get the prism effect and you get the distortion of her as the light is passing through the glass, right? And so those are t- those are total call forwards to the fact that she's not who she appears to be, right? So this whole movie is about perception in 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 that sense. And so the fact that the lighthouse has been perverted by the alien is also a reference to the fact that humanity doesn't know how fucked it is in the, in the context of this movie anyway. Maybe not the books. In this movie, humanity is still like, well, they put a they put a military perimeter around it, and the shimmer's growing, and maybe we'll just keep sending people in, and maybe we'll see what it is. They have no idea how fucked they are, how un how un um, correctable this is, right? It's the whole it's the mutant thing from Marvel. It's post human. It's like there's no going back once a, a xenobiological component has messed with your DNA, right? So that's what I thought the, the lighthouse meant. Okay. So the thing, to me, the thing to me that you touched upon is that perception is reality. Wait, wait, what? And, what? The, and the fact that say again, so you're, you're talking a robot. about what? So you were talking about 
how the light and the prism and it, it, it distorts reality. The other coupling of that is that perception is reality. Correct. Right. right. You know, you, you can think it all the way to the mind bender scene in 2001. You can think right. it all this way. Like, you know, all the human experience is relational and, and absolutely, absolutely right. right. The and view so, through the glass is absolutely as accurate as the view outside of the glass. You're right. Right. And and even in um, in Legion, right? Uh-huh. How oh, all yes. layers of existence and dimensionality and time kind of merge into this uh, aberrant mass that is very tangled. <laughs> the uh, I think you're right that, that once Cain happens, it it, it it sort of signaled the end, right? right? That this is the game over. Right. And it's just a matter of, of time and, and how long it's going to cause pain. And in the other two books, it underscores that, that right. this, this uh, fighting against the oncoming tide with a spoon doesn't really work. <laughs> right. And, right. <laughs> it's right. If you're, I, saying, if you're saying in a hurricane with a Dixie cup, you're fucked. And when I saw, when I saw the movie, whatever it was prequel to the planet of the apes or whatever that movie, whatever it was called the first one, I saw it on a plane on the way to Jakarta, as I am wont to do, and so of course I'm 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 neck deep in the multiple connection thing of international travel, and the end of that movie where you see the spread. Oh no! It was the implication at that, and then I saw the second one, and the opening salvo of that is the the vector spread showing the airports spreading it. Right? Oh no, no, that's the end of the first one. It's the end of the first one. Okay, well, whatever it is, um, yeah. it's that it's that concept, right? It's like it's. It's it's already out there. The hopelessness of trying to control a vector like that. Yeah. So it, and once you get the sneezing pilot, you're doomed. Right. And then right. and right. I think and I think more thematically, it, it has less to do with the aliens cloning forms being out there in the world because that implies that there's intent. I right. think it's more about the fact that the world is irrevocably changed, whether it's the aliens spreading. Or the fact that it exists, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're already, you know, the, the 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 curtain has been lifted and we're fucked either way, and you know, like that's it. There's no going back, right? Yeah, no, it's it's a flip of War of the Worlds and signals, right? Right, that, right, right. It, it, the aliens come when they're doomed by their own weaknesses that they brought with us, whether it's the flu or water. <laughs> I still right? love I, that. I, I still love that movie, though. Come on. Well, I, I do, I do, but I just understand why a species that knows that melts in water invades a planet that is two thirds water. Anyway, and the um, people and, and the bio and the, the primary mammalian life forms are eighty percent water or whatever. It is. Yeah, yeah. So the, 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 you kind of like. The but that was a gimmick of, to me. That was yeah. a gimmick of screenwriting. It was more. It was more metaphorical. It could have been something different. Like it could have been like you know, cherry coke was its weakness or whatever. Like it wasn't so much that it, it, the fact that it was water and waters so, around you was like a, so, it was a dumb. It was a dumb mistake. But. Right. I mean, but I come out through that advance and everything else. And, yeah, yeah, but, I mean, sure. I mean, uh, granted, they have to make crop circles to give directions to the land forces. So <laughs> yeah. obviously, have some limitations on the intelligence. Um, but I do love the, the notion of Tim Burton doing another Mars Attacks uh, <laughs> movie, and the humans fight it off with uh, the Mentos Diet Coke rockets. Uh, <laughs> oh. I, I do find that kind of appealing. This is a side note to self. I still have a really strong love affair with the opening salvo of. Mars Attacks with the Flaming Cows. Oh, yeah. So yeah. much so that I've drawn that and sold it. <laughs> I've drawn a, I've drawn a cow with its back on fire at a convention, and I've sold it. So, <laughs> But was it to Tim Burton? No. Okay. Let's be real. That would have made it damaged. Yeah. Okay, so she's in the she's in the hole. 
She's in she's psychiatrist in gets no. eaten by the by the by the recursive anus. Okay, so why do you think that she? Do you think she was eaten because her? Because what was her intent? Do you think at that time, and how it differed from um, Portman's, and why was she eaten and Portman wasn't? Well, I, I think she just wasn't deemed as an acceptable host that would survive the merge and come out the other side to satisfy the purpose of the shimmer. So you think she was a rejected sample? I think she just she didn't pass the QAQC check. <laughs> okay, all right, fair enough. I was a little disappointed. And, and also, I mean, and also, it could have been the 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 the, the pairing with Kane was a little more unique. Yeah. And then the other, and you got to remember, they were the eleven squad that went in. Right. Right. They were Expedition Eleven. What do you think about the the scene in the video? Where they're like, hold him down, hold him down, hold him down. It's gonna be fine. And they're holding him down. That they cut, and they just cut his belly from yeah. end to end. And you see all the riling, you know, whatever masses swirling around in there. The context to do that, like I was imagining the environment, the Jacob's Ladder environment that they would yeah. be able to organize to pin M- McGillicuddy down. It's gonna be fine, buddy. Drink some whiskey, and then they yeah. just rip. And they just rip, and like the fact that they would rip his his stomach open shows that they know they're all fucked, right? But yeah, also, yeah. they were fired up in that video. They were really adrenalized and and dude broing. Like they were like it was like a frat party in that video. Like they were really aggro when they did it, which was really interesting to me. Well, it, it's so interesting point. So if the lighthouse is the center of the signal, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the waves of insanity or corruption or malevolence are that much stronger the closer you get to the lighthouse. It, it was kind of like a, a return to the primal basics, right? Well, that on. it kind of washed away the humanity. Yep, Say again. Sorry. Say again. You got robotic. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, as you get closer and closer to the center of the signal, which is the lighthouse. Right. It, and the paranoia and the insecurities and everything else, it just kind of resets to the base human instincts right right but that's and, not based to to document uh, the guy to document for the camera that they're terribly terribly mutating that was that was for future but, but wasn't that Kane? huh wasn't that Kane that did that yeah yeah so he has a different reaction to okay. being close to the source just like she did uh yeah just yeah just like Portman. So yeah. it, it's that self-selection mm. of compatibility that I think is it's like a, a matchmaker thing. Now, what's interesting about that is, was he not quite the perfect match and she is? Or was he and she both, were they both suitable? Because he was cloned and went out, but he's bewildered and confused and whatever. Mm-hmm. She's mapped and goes out and has self-awareness. Yeah, I, I think you can. Either way, you can come down the right side of that plotline because they never really clarify it. You understand what I mean, right? They're yeah, the yeah. only two that got out, but she's much more advanced than he is when they get out. Yeah, but it's just the, so you could say the same thing like in Westworld, right? Mm-hmm. Um, more enlightened, less enlightened. Right, right. And so one can accept it and embrace it, and the other one, like, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. shoots himself, right? Well, that's a really um, good point. Like, he was desperate to get back to her. So maybe mm-hmm. that impulse is overriding his, like, that's all he has. And she had that con- complication in her relationship. And because she had cheated and because she was unhappy, maybe that complexity is what made her more evolved as a hybrid. Because I yeah, think it's a hybrid. 
it's oh, absorbing it, it, DNA from her when it's doing that dance, right? Right. And if you read books two and three, it, it becomes very apparent that she is much more than uh, a hybrid or some of her parts. Yeah. Yeah. She, she, she's like the, the emissary. Okay. And, yeah. So um, I was disappointed in the fact that they chose to make the alien when it's doing its dance with her, <laughs> that they made it a late 80s chromed body and not like I felt like that was I mean, they were trying to they were trying to say neutral pattern. But to me, you either go smooth canvas like why was it shiny like i either they go smooth canvas like bone like a you know like a weird milky biomass mm-hmm. in form like, like uh, westworld yeah. and like westworld right before they get like westworld so westworld before they get their skins the mm-hmm. not before they get their skins but the, uh, the you know the before centuries. they get the epidermis the drones the, the drones yeah. is a good example of one way, and then, or, and like I was imagining, because they were doing that recursive anus effect, I thought that may, I thought that that body should have constantly been, it should have been, had the form that they had, but the detail was a constantly roiling recursive anus of itself, like like all of this should have been like hyper detail of it twirling around and inverting on itself and stuff, and like all this weird weird complication as it's and that it would be smoothing itself out only as it is patterning and patterning and patterning and then once it's smooth then it starts to form features do you know what i'm saying that's what i wanted well i think that this comes down to the subjective aesthetic of the director and and what they wanted i mean to me it it spoke a lot to like the day the earth stood still approach the what right the day the earth stood still. Uh, okay okay right and 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 that kind of encased cocoon kind of thing that then morphs upon contact. Right. Uh, I mean, there are so many different manifestations of this through cinematography and others that, you know, that I think they just picked one that worked and didn't look too hokey. Yeah. And, and just stuck with it. Obviously, it could have been better, but it could have been a whole lot worse. Um, so do you think that so? OK. It does the thing, it does the dance, and of course it's Sonoya, his his muse from Ex Machina. She's amazing. Yep. Right? So she's the one doing the dance. Okay, so she, it does this whole thing, and it's emulating her and all that stuff. And then she tries to get to the bear, to the perimeter of the, of the cave, and it goes and presses against her. What an mm-hmm. interesting choice that it smoth, it literally smothers her, but not in the way... I mean, like... I don't remember ever seeing that as the way it happens in any other movie. Like she wasn't engulfed. She wasn't, it didn't go in her mouth. It didn't mm-hmm. like suck her into itself or anything. It got on top of her and pressed her until she f- passed out. Yeah. And, so th- and that's a really weird thing in the me too movement era. That was yeah. to me, that was very deliberate. <laughs> Yeah, but, but I will. Yeah, I think so as well. But but it was a it was like the totally total um, assimilation of yeah. who you are. Yeah, right? it, it was it was structure and form. But I will say that there was another movie that did it pretty well, and that was the Thing twenty eleven version. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, with Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Joel uh-huh. Edgerton, mm-hmm. and they they have a couple of scenes where actually the 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 cream the the, the alien actually lays on top of. 
and starts the assimilation process that way. How interesting. And uh, yeah, so when I saw that in Annihilation, I automatically thought back to that movie and how they approached it. I just think it it's very, so, yeah. I, I just think that's so specific a choice because it's, the, yeah. ob- the obvious grab is it gets close to you, it sucks you, and then tendrils get to you and it, like starts pulling you into it. Yeah. And instead, this was crushing her. There was very specific that she was being crushed by it against the wall as it's holding on to her, mm-hmm. right? But 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 total assimilation and loss, a complete loss of self. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So then there's a pass out, and then they wake up, and then she gets up and walks away. That is the alien host getting up and walking away. Correct. And she's dead, right? Uh, she's been assimilated. Right. Okay. Right. Her, her body. Have, her body is dead. dead. She lives on. Right. Her yeah. body is dead. Okay. And walk and, on. And, and and then and then the the most confusing thing that people got really uh, warped up about is now burning it all down. Right. Mm-hmm. Just sets fire to everything. And what does that mean? Right. What do you think that means? I, well, I mean, uh, in film continuity, what do you think it means? Anyway, so uh, in film continuity, I think it's burning the ship on the beach. Right. That's what I thought too. And saying that there is no going back. We've crossed the Rubicon and full steam ahead. Yeah. I looked at it as I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. But what I found interesting about it is that there, to some degree, an evolved species wouldn't destroy its remnants because it wouldn't care. There's, there's the approach that it would not waste material that can be useful, mm-hmm. that, could re, that can reabsorb or use in some way. And then there's the idea that it's so evolved that it doesn't care about leaving evidence behind, right? Why do you burn the ship? The burning of the ship is so that someone else can't take the ship, right? Or, so, or, or discover a weakness that they can exploit. Right. So that's what I'm getting at is this creature, this sentience should not have any concerns about what humanity is going to do. It, it has no – humanity is just a it's, – it's, a, it's, a, it's an organism on the Petri dish, right? So, mm-hmm. w- so the, burning of the, the burning of the lighthouse is not to prevent humanity from understanding what it is. To me, it was more about – well, okay. So the, where my mind went was that it is the Darwinistic thing. That it can cre- it can continue to evolve hosts. It can continue to imprint and try to survive on this planet by grafting to other things, and that this version of itself has decided that it is the primary one, and so it's destroying the source material so there can be no others. It's a Darwinistic thing. I will kill off all the other samples so that I'm the I'm the most evolved one. I will proceed, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Suggesting that everything that's there can still create more and can still evolve and can still mutate. That's that's what I took away from it. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of things that you can uh, read into it, but I will say that <laughs> that's very that polite of you. The the the, uh, the shimmer doesn't go away. No, it does not. It does not. But the lighthouse goes away, right. and right. the core so, goes away. Right. So to to me, it's kind of like uh, you need to move forward. You can't be what you were before. Yeah, but to, so, but a sentience wouldn't like a, a xenobiological sentience doing rapid terraforming wouldn't do that. Wouldn't care um, unless it doesn't want to continuously evolve and it's found the form that it that's wants to. That's what I'm saying. The evolution process. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. You and I are on 100 percent the same page, yeah. which is what I like about you. No, that me too. All right. So, outside world, do you think mm-hmm. that Wong knows 
that she is xenobiological, or do you think that he believes that she's who she says she is? I believe he knows that she's a xenomorph. Really? Yep. Why? Why? Because of what happened with Kane. But they don't have anything about Kane either. They don't have no. any. They were doing tests on him and all that other stuff, and they had nothing to. They had nothing to suggest that he was anything other than what he was. Exactly, and then he popped. Did he pop? Right. Yeah, he started bleeding off the mouth and everything oh, yeah, else. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's all. But but see, but that's all react. Right, right, right. But that's all like indicative of of a viral infection from their perspective. Oh, no, or just or just fundamental incompatibility. But there's but, nothing. But there's nothing but, yeah. that a normal human scientist would say if he came out of a shimmer and then burst and exploded, that they would think, well, that was a human-alien hybrid that didn't take. They wouldn't come to that conclusion. No, but, but I will say that out of... They would say he was virally compromised and couldn't take it. I, I would say that they are fundamentally changed because out of 11 expeditions, these are the only two that came back, and they are fundamentally linked. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and, and, and that is... And there's, there's no coincidence. There's no way you can, you can you know, hand wave at that. But there's, a, but there's a very strong... What I think is interesting is whether it was the psychiatrist that came up with the idea or if it was the, the larger construct of the military that was organizing this besides her, it was very deliberate that she went in, right? Oh, no. It wasn't the- just like it just so happened to be... Oh, he's your husband. Oh, by the way, you're a you're a cellular biologist by trade, and also you don't seem to be that scared. So why don't you go in? Right? Like it was very to me. It was very um, not Machiavellian, but it was very deliberate that she would be sent in. Yes, they knew because yes. of her relationship to him. And see in the book. And see in the book. It, it, it was exploitive on both sides. Right. She had this nagging about. What happened was related to how she treated him, and so, she had this yeah. huge doubt and guilt over it. And so she was compelled to go out and find out what happened. Yeah. And I think I think that the mission uh, also said, okay, there's a linkage here. He went back to her for an explicit purpose. Let's put her in the mix and see what happens. Blake, would you like to hear my scalpy scribbles? Sure. So these are the things I wrote while I was watching the movie. You know, I've done this for years. Yep. I like chocolate. I like Pop-Tarts. Oh, yes, look, sir. Squirrel. Yes, squirrel. Sir. Portman. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I wrote was, number one, uh, this is the same college as was used in The Handmaid's Tale. Did you realize that? I did not. So do you remember in Handmaid's Tale when uh, you, you're caught up on that, right? Yes. Alexis Bedell, her whole all, her whole series of flashbacks where she was still teaching. Was in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Same place. And it really helped. <laughs> like, it's a coincidence, but it fucking helped because that's scary shit. <laughs> like, Handmaid's Tale is as fucking scary as you get and real world horror. And it did not hurt that it was the same exact place because I felt the same weird. Uh, I felt yes. vulnerable in her flashbacks because of Handmaid's Tale. Okay. That's a thing that happened. Number two. Okay. Uh, the hand holding the water glass and seeing the distortion, very deliberate focus on that twice. Mm-hmm. Early, early uh, indications that perception is wrong and that things aren't what they seem or that things or that rather what you see is not necessarily what it is. There's or, more to it than you see. Or that our reality has fundamentally changed. Mm-hmm. Number three. Uh, and this goes all the way back to my issues with red shirts, but um, they do not attempt to back out of the shimmer. Like, so 
So, okay, this is a collection of a combination of they've sent in military people, and this time they're sending in scientists. This is the first expedition that scientists, first expedition that's all female. They don't do things in a... Can you hear me? Yes. They're not doing things in a logical sequence. For example, I mean, there's many things they don't do that's logical because for the purpose of the narrative. But, you know, the very first thing I would have expected is they... And I see this about in every movie where someone goes through a dimensional portal or whatever, right? They never put their hand back out. They never step back out and go back in and go back out and go back in to see if the membrane is two-way, right? They walk Uh, through and kept going. Stargate... Stargate, they pulled their hand back up. I didn't watch Stargate. I, I oh. disregard that. So anyway, I didn't like that because I wanted them to at least establish the the apparent physical laws of the Shimmer, which they did not do. Okay. Again, another red shirt issue. Uh, they did not bring an air supply <laughs> with them. They did not come in with environment suits of any kind. They just walked in like it's... Because obviously they're evoking... They were trading heavily on the under-equipped American military in Vietnam, right? They were going for that look, the heart of darkness, as you referenced earlier. I mean, they've mm-hmm. definitely gone for that route, but why the fuck were they not? I mean, we're seeing these previews for amazing, the apparently amazing prospect that we're going to see soon. Why the hell weren't they wearing spacesuits when they went through this thing? I couldn't so, wrap my head around that. <laughs> so I, I think I think what you'll find when you read the book is that they, they tried all of that, and it led to the same dismal outcome. All right, well, okay. So... Uh Oh, okay. So this is a cinematography and directing choice that I really appreciated. I was very aware of it. It's filmed from the last person. Mhm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're always filmed by the so that the the narrative focus in as they enter the shimmer and they're working their way through is last person in the group. So you're always in the back. And there's a very creepy so uh, we tend to think that the person in the front is the one at risk, right? <laughs> it's obviously it's the it's the arrow, it's the it's the arrow sponge, and you know it's the first mm-hmm. one to be taken out. But there's something really creepy about being the one in the back because you cannot see anything. You don't know what's happening. You have very limited view, and uh, I think that was very interesting. Uh, your fake, you're, all you're facing is humanity, and that humanity is fucked, and you don't know why because you're in the very back of it from the from the camera angle anyway. So I think I think that's a, a very deliberate cinematography yep. ploy yep. based on war footage. Mm-hmm. You, take, you take a look at the horror of the footage yes. from World War One or World War Two, yes. and and the reporters are in the back, the cameras in the back, and you see humanity get turned into meatloaf. Right. Reporters right? in the back, yes. And, yes, and yes. You see humanity get turned into meatloaf in front of you, yes. and it's all chaos and it's all screaming and it's all blood. Stroganoff, um, turn it into yeah. stroganoff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, going back to the, I mean, granted, the water thing was just ridiculous in signs, but. One of the things I loved and one of the things that gave everyone a, a temporary hope with uh, M. Night was how much in signs he used camera angles and mm-hmm. framing to limit your access. And that was the most powerful thing about signs. That's why, I, you know, we lost our shit watching signs at midnight <laughs> was things like the walking down the porch and stuff and having these limited views and just screaming at the screen like turn the fucking camera. Like, mm-hmm. that is horror. That is pure power in cinematography, and they did that very well. So, there you go. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, uh, number whatever. Wait, one, two, three, four, five, six. Number six. Um, I didn't really like... I wrote down I didn't like that they were sleeping without a, a guard. Now, granted that they... This is in that one compound mm-hmm. when the bear first attacked. Now, granted, what they did was 
they all slept in the in the elevated part, and then they had someone down on the ground who was the the one that stayed awake. But I felt like they should have had. I felt like given the number of unknowns, it should have been like too alert, too sleeping, right? Like it it was odd to me that they would be like everyone's going to crash, roast some marshmallows. One person's awake, you know, like to me, that was too much of a risk and it didn't seem logical that they would do that. Certainly didn't work out for them. Agreed. Number seven, uh, no breadcrumbs, right? So they entered and the first thing they established is that they're, unless I'm remembering this wrong, didn't they establish that Magnetic North was spinning or like they had no sense of where they were, they had no communication, right? Right. Right. So they didn't even do fit the old school physical things to track their passage. So, so again, uh, I, I hate to be the guy who says this, but in the book, it goes into a lot of depth about how they tried a lot of different techniques and everything, ah, okay. was, everything okay. just ended up fucked. My and sense then, was that they were trying to imply in the movie version. Anyway, my sense was they were trying to imply that these all, all these people, or at least the people who were aware of enough about their environment. In other words, the psychiatrist and Portman, Felt like it was a one-way trip. They really didn't give a fuck. Uh, there's a string element on that, but there's also the reason why they didn't give a fuck and they were so fatalistic about it is because of everything that had been done before. Got it. So they already had evidence to suggest that nothing works. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, I mean, I mean, yeah. They, I mean, you had you had ten squads before you, uh, between five and ten people, and the only one who came back uh, didn't end so well. Ah, okay. Number eight. When the bear attacks in the one station. I found it really interesting that the bear would attack and eviscerate the throat, but not eat the victim. So, but, the, it was, but, but don't, don't you think it's because it absorbed those vocal cords and then that's how it could emulate the voice? Well, yeah, but the whole point is if you attack a thing, it's gonna, you're going to eat the thing. Well, animals attack a thing if they're going to – if they think it's a threat, if they have to establish dominance, or if they want to eat it, right? And so that bear attacked – it ate the throat, which is key because, or at least symbolically, it's key because it's going to absorb the. I mean, there's no reason. There's no, I, I mean, it's fantasy physics anyway. But there's no reason why you eat the throat to get the, to get the scream. But the point is, it ate the, it attacked her, and then it moved on. It didn't eat her, and that was what I found really horrifying: is that the animal didn't go back and feed on her, didn't even go back and feed on her. It just no, no. ate it, it was slashed, and kept on going. Yeah. Like, but, it's uh, all predator. It's all instinct to kill without the the necessary backup to that, which is also eat this and procreate and do all the other things. No, it wasn't it, it, because it wasn't obeying its base instincts. I think right. it, what it was doing was being an assassin. Right. And so you select the weakest, you take it out, you then exploit a weakness, and then you do, again, go out to the weakest, exploit, take it out. And so it was it was basically a killing machine that was trying to wipe out that intrusion. So you think right? that you think it was actually, um, you, so you think it was by, it was biologically mutated by design for that purpose. Yes. Interesting. I think I think to me, I interpret it as basically a systemic autonomous response to intrusion by Interesting. a foreign it's a op- white blood cell. Yes. So I didn't get that. I mean, I thought it was a happy accident, <laughs> like a horrifying accident. That this was just they. It was something that mutated. And it was much higher on the chain, and it was taking people out. And that the fact that it wasn't eating them was even more horrifying. That it had mutated beyond its survival instinct. It didn't even do anything with its victims. It just 
ate them. Because that's yes. one of the things that they describe about anthropology, right? That's one of the things they describe about the evolution towards sentience is the breakaway or like the, 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 the separation between violence and survival, right? The right. more the more towards humanity you get in the in, in, in the food <coughs> chain, the more you're committing atrocities without the, the biological need to do them. Exactly, but but uh, to me, it was more of a, a multicellular organism response. That's interesting. I mean, that's and, a really and, interesting approach. Yeah, and yeah. And, the, and the and the fact that it was so targeted in what it took yeah, yeah. Sure. to then yeah. emulate and 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 terrorize the remnants. Yeah, to yeah. me, it was like an autonomous defense system. Yeah, interesting. Okay, number nine. Uh, I just love the mimic bugbear. That's what I called it. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Um, and then number ten, I said going leafy. <laughs> so I guess that's Tessa Thompson. It's yes. sort of like, you know, going native and stripping your clothes off and running through the fields. But, yeah, but, you know, yeah. you become... I become a transparent eyeball. Yep. Do-da, do-da. Yep. Yep. Tema Thompson, or, uh, Tessa Thompson becomes a boxwood. Um, uh, number 11, who reads to music? And that was something that really annoyed me. Uh, psychiatrist Jennifer Jason Lee was reading, and she was playing music while she was reading. Or either she was or... Oh, no, no, no. No, no. It was flashbacks to Portland and Kane yes, sitting around, yeah. and they were playing music, and it wasn't even like orchestral. It was like music, and they were reading, and that's a thing that I do not do. <laughs> that's a thing I don't do. Okay. Do you? Um, Can you I, listen to regular, like non-orchestral music while you're reading? Yes. Really? And, I, and same thing, I could... Uh, Hootie the Blowfish while you're reading... Anathema. Uh, no, no, so when I was studying in undergrad, University of Washington, I remember my sophomore year, I was really addicted to studying and reading with Octoon Baby by YouTube. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Not even passengers? Okay. Number something? 12, maybe? Ultraviolet Light My Way. Uh, no, so Ultraviolet Light My Way. That was my favorite study song. But, All yeah, right. Go got ahead. it. Okay. So I was an, I was a, an ambient electronic and uh, experimental electronic listener when I was reading and studying and things like I wanted non I, and then to this day I can read to not and I can even think to non vocal based music so mm-hmm. like if I'm driving in the truck or something or if I'm on my commute if I want to think about things I put on soundtracks if I want to be have my attention turned then I then I listen to music or a podcast so that's interesting okay got it so, yeah all right uh, number something um, crystal trees. I thought that was amazing. Yes, that the trees, because at that point the the experimentation goes beyond DNA. So that was what I really thought was interesting, is because now be, it's become primary building blocks, because it's not just DNA mutation; it's mineral, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Do you agree. But you have to. But uh, and so the agree, inside the lighthouse too. But wait, 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 wait. You have to remember that there's a lot of biominerals in biology, right? Like mm-hmm. skeletons and biosilicates and coccolithophores. Carbon. So, <laughs> uh, well, and silicon. Yeah, silica. Yeah, right. Silica. Yeah, silica yeah. to be precise. So, yeah, but it was it was an elegant play on uh, elegance, structure, and alienness. Yes, absolutely. I like that it played on the fact that there are mineral constructs in nature that are you know it goes back to the the blind watchmaker right like it's really amazing when you see things like fractal in nature beyond the biological 
So I like that aspect of it. And also, it's interesting you bring that up, that it's that there are these mineral components in our bodies, because it also suggests the stripping away of all the things that make us us, right? Yes, agreed. I mean, agreed. actually, all the things that make us us are electricity but <laughs> and salt, right? But but yeah, you're right. Which, okay. are, which are related. Yes, they are. Okay, so uh, number something else plus one, maybe ten. Um, I thought it was weird that or interesting that by the time they get to the watchtower or what's that time she does, she marches right wait up. Minute, wait a minute, I have to call you on that real quick. You juxtapose. You juxtapose lighthouse with watchtower, which is a very interesting. Oh, wordplay. Interesting. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. We proceed. I I agree with you. That's interesting. Right. Now we yes. proceed. She walks right past the array of rib cages, and at the time I wrote it down, I was like, "You're you're so like at this point, you're like I don't even, I'm not even registering that there's just this like fucking there's there's uh, there's hedges of rib cages that I'm not even paying attention to." Hey, it's it's, it's barbecue but, Tuesday. Yeah, it's barbecue but, Tuesday. Like but the, then, the, am I remembering this right? That it pans out or something, and that you see that there's like human components that have been spread out in a pattern. Yes. Okay, because that's. There, that was my favorite scene in Suicide Squad, was that uh, Joker had done a thing where the, all of the like the remnants of his victims were spread out in a pattern around him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right, right. That's really cool. Pattern and madness, right? We like that. Pattern, well, patterns well, that suggest understandability, and then madness, which we can't understand. Right. So it's the same thing with Apocalypse Now, with the you know the the kind of religious compromise, the, mm-hmm. the, the total abasement of humanity and treating bones like uh, tools and art forms, right? It's, uh, yeah. And then finally, um, I, I just said camera sneaks up on frame. And what I think I meant there was that in the final scenes in the Watchtower slash Lighthouse, the camera pan is very, very, very controlled and specific. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to that signs thing. It's like you're so locked in about what you see, right? That yes. it drives you nuts because it's like you want to, you want more, you want, and like the rigidity of that all kind of reflects the fact that you're trapped at that point. You're screwed. Agreed. That was amazing. So anyway, that was the end of my uh, my scalpy scribbles. But I love this movie. And also, once again, I forget what is his name, like Johan Johansson, the the composer. Something oh like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's something like that. Yeah, he's uh, he did Arrival, he did this, he did Sicaro, Sicaro, and a few others. And uh, it's like my primary, it's my primary rotation right now. I loved the soundtrack. At initially, I was a little bit thrown by the fact that it jumps between the the ominous uh, instrumental score and then it feeds into this acoustic guitar and then back again and then acoustic guitar and back again. Yep. And the acoustic guitar definitely uh, plays into that Appalachian goth kind of thing. But man, the more I listen to the soundtrack divorced from the movie, the more I realize it's humanity versus the unknown. Humanity versus the unknown. Because as you go through the soundtrack, there's a point where the guitar goes away and it's nothing but crazy. Yeah. And so I, I don't know who did what, but it's Jeff Barrow and yeah. Ben Salisbury. Ah, uh, OK. And so it's a co-score. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. It was perfect i loved it yeah well i actually i actually um the whole combination of cinematography art plot narratives and character development i, I thought it was a hauntingly brilliant film uh unbelievable yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, and what's really interesting about it is that when you play that soundtrack when you're driving, whatever you look at, scary as shit. So, for example, <laughs> when I was driving up the Rose City, I was on Highway 92, whatever it is, that goes through the swamps up in the Delta, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? I'm heading, sorry, what? The swamps in the Delta in Portland? What? No, heading to Portland. Yeah. Off the 80, and you yes. take highway nine was it highway 92 or whatever it is that goes past sears point and yeah yeah, continues yeah, yeah. on right so you're on a, 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 a two one lane one direction one lane the other direction on the slightly elevated and you're in the you're in the delta right so you got nothing but uh waterlogged land landmass on either yes. side of you right there's like half sunken ships out there. There's weird abandoned buildings. There's chunks of irrigated space. And I mean, the the Sacramento Delta is very important for a lot of reasons in Northern California. But you play the soundtrack to Annihilation as you're driving through it. And you might as well be the last person on Earth because it is fucking scary. <laughs> OK, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of reasons why Sacramento and heading towards it is scary. That's one of them. I'll have to try that. No, don't do it. But I mean, we do it, but don't do it. Um, it's sort of like when I would play the stuff I would play when I'm flying and I'm like, I'm coming down into Hong, like Hong Kong and in, in like, you know, middle of the night and you're, and you're coming down and you see all the ships illuminated in the bay and all that stuff. And you're playing haunting music and you're like, well, this is nothing but Blade Runner. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm sure but, if you're playing the Hee Haw soundtrack over and over again, it would be a very different experience. But no, if you play Hee Haw over Hong Kong, you're in for a rough night. Yes. The um, also when you when you drive in from the Philadelphia airport to Philadelphia downtown, yes, put on the Blade Runner soundtrack and you will feel right at home. I think that sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, I am ramping myself up to do another. Um, I want to do first Blade Runner and second Blade Runner back to back. Already done. So it. stoked! I really already done do it. it. It is so good. I because uh, I listened to another fucking like hour and a half podcast about with Villeneuve talking about. Uh, the making of uh, 2049, and I'm just so want to get on it again. So, um, all right. So that said, do you have anything else that you want to add to the uh, to the wonderful world of Annihilation? No. The thing that I would say is that, of course, the mainstream audience didn't get it. Yes, that's <laughs> correct. Um, it wasn't made for them. <laughs> no, no. But I thought what, what is a real shame, though, to me, is that they're not going to. They're probably not going to do the other two. Do you think they were going to do another two? Oh, I know. Garland has never suggested in any way that he was interested in doing sequels. No, but the studio bought the rights to all three. Yeah, but that's because he was but he was building off of his general sense of that whole story. You but really I, think I, he was going to do another one? No, I'm, I'm not saying him, but I'm saying that there still could have been yeah, yeah. a number two and number three. I understand, yeah. Successful, right? right? Right. I don't think I don't think anybody really anticipated, you know, doing Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure 2. Yeah, you're right. Was successful, right? So Put them in the Iron Maiden. <laughs> Execute them. Right, or Gremlins 2. I don't think anybody was finding out Gremlins 2 when they released it. So um, it's just a, it's a shame because as good as the movie was, if it was done in the same style, the entire trilogy yeah. would be a mind fucker. And, but we're not ready for it. <laughs> we don't deserve it in a way. We don't deserve it, yeah. I mean, if you think about the world today, we don't deserve another annihilation. Well, we got the red hats. We got, you know, we're good. So, um, shall we, because I know your time is limited, mm -hmm. shall we proceed to a segment we call Planned Plundering? Indeed. Let's do that. Uh, do you have any planned plundering, Blake? 
What are you planning well, to plunder? Um, I'm going to go off on a, a departure and go to uh, a genre that we haven't talked about in quite a while. Mary Poppins. No. Incorrect, but nice try. Um, I can't wait for Glass. Oh, yeah. Uh, I I just got and recorded <laughs> Split, so I'm going to watch Split. I'm ready. But 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 so you got to watch Split, and then you got to go back and watch Unbreakable. Oh, yeah. I was a big and fan of Unbreakable, though, so. So was I. But... I was probably a little bit more of a fan than you were. Really? Well, I don't know. I was just trying to one-up you, but maybe. Maybe we're equally. Let's just say we're equally fans. You very well could be because I'm not a big uh, uh, Robin fan. But um, the James McAvoy. Robin fan? Robin Wright Penn. Oh, got it right. Right. um, Or Robin Wright now. Uh, The uh, James McAvoy is one of my hidden treasure actors oh, that, yeah. I don't think, that I don't think gets enough attention or credit for what he does. And the fact that he didn't get atomic a, blonde for fuck's sake. No split. The fact that he didn't even yeah. get a, a nod for split. Right, right, right. right. No, I understand. And, I get you. I get you. But look right, what he did and, in atomic blonde. Look at how many other actors would have done something totally different in that movie than he did. Agreed. And look what he did as professor X. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but what he did in split My legs are dead. What, what he did in split was just, Unfucking real, and you know it, it was Dan Daniel Day Lewis like. And next me, time we a, talk, I want you to rank all of his personalities, best to worst. Oh, I can do I that. Backup right now. Yeah. But <laughs> the uh, don't do it because <laughs> um, I'll go with the Beast as number one. <laughs> I've seen <laughs> that. Time. I've seen that part <laughs> every time. Every time. But um, it, and also the fact that it was such a redemption tale for M Night Shyamalan mm-hmm. Bing Bang. Shyamalan. Uh, that I just can't wait for glass. It's it's I I yeah. It could be my favorite superhero movie of the year. Plus, actually, of the year. Plus, um, plus the fact that um, Sam Jackson is yeah he's riding that thing where a shitty movie is rad because of Sam Jackson. So a rad movie with Sam Jackson is rad plus one, right? Or it's like Infinity or something yes. like that, right? So, I mean, but, but he he even he Infinity the, War was better because of Sam Jackson. Yes, and he was only in it for thirty seconds. The uh, he had the beeper. Yes, but the, the fact that he is having such a domination of the box office and a domination of movies writ large, and he'll do any piece of shit that gets thrown his way. I love right? the fact that the de aging Sam Jackson is give him a tight fro. And a little bit of smudge tool in Photoshop, and you're done. Like, yeah, it's. I, and well, and to be fair, Clark Gregg has also got one of those faces that doesn't have to do anything. All they did is give him a slightly '90s haircut, and then he was good to go. Anyway, yeah, back but, to you. But, but 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 he's like an immortalized Morgan Freeman. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Right, you're right. Like the, you're right. And and the fact that he can still do the credit card commercial, like, what's in your wallet, motherfucker? And, how bad uh, is it that Morgan Freeman? <laughs> but Morgan Freeman is a good example of how. It sucks when the real world intrudes on the image in the movies because when he had that crash, he had that crash a couple of years ago where he rolled his car and he had an, a, his his lover in the car or something like that or I don't know. There's some weird seedy thing about it and, and then you'll suddenly realize, wait a minute, he's doing that thing where in all his interviews he's got a fucking earring like Harrison Ford, and then you realize that he's like a he's he's a Hollywood dude. When you look at all his stuff on screen, it's like, this is an elder statesman of Hollywood. And, like, no matter what, if you saw him in the street, you'd be like, tell me about the course of my life and what I should do. And whatever he said, you'd do it. Right? And he'd be like, but, he'd be like, he'd be like uh, have sex as much as you can. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. All the coke, baby. Dude, all right. do all the drugs all the time. Yeah, so um, what else besides glass? Anything else? Um, I'm actually kind of excited about Daredevil season three. Dude. Dude. Right? So that's so a lot of that storyline in the comics I was a little turned off from because mommy stuff, nun stuff, religion stuff. But mm-hmm. those themes are very important in Daredevil. I get that. Mm-hmm. But I'm really liking the fact – I'm liking the imagery of this campaign. The, yeah, the Christ poses but in a dark yeah. way and all of the blood red stuff. Blood red stuff because, you know, I even drew that and I have that as a print that I've sold several copies of. Um, I took the season two costume and then I pushed it into the reds and the maroons and it looks fucking dope. If you just make it all red, it looks really good. Yeah. Um, but, but, but my favorite but was mean? the year one black and I love that yeah. he goes back to it in some way or it seems like he does anyway. But 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 also but a juxtaposition of it, right? Like right. Right. Dark in the black dark soul, in the shadows. Like dark yes, in the shadows. Lost, like you're lost. Right. Yes. And then red is sacrifice and tears. Yes, yes, yes. Right? And then and then the so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that maturation. And then the yep. final is I'm really looking forward to seeing the expanse unhinged. What? Uh, yeah. What's that mean? Off sci-fi and on. Oh, to, oh, oh yeah. Future expanse. Yeah. But you're reaching, man. That's like, uh, how, how far out is that? I think it's next summer. Oh, motherfucker. I, I, when that season ended, I was just like, God damn it. <laughs> like, I, 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 I tried it to, I've turned at the convention, it's like I become a missionary, and all I do is try to turn people onto Expanse. At Rose City, um, I talk to like eight different people about Expanse. You, you, you become a firefly in, except for with Expanse, which is different because it's not fucking yeah. firefly. It's not fucking uh, Farscape, which everybody likes to rant about. Oh fuck that! It's got a Muppet in it. All right, so mine are uh, two things. One is uh, you might be surprised. Uh, I plan to continue watching Iron Fist season two. I'm so glad you didn't say the Brides of Orange County or something. That's no, so sir. much. Better. No, sir. But or, um, or below decks Mediterranean. Yeah. I'm going to okay. give you a spoiler. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert for our rum fueled recommendation section. But yeah. Iron Fist season two is much, much, much better. Hmm. It's not perfect, but it is hmm. actually like interesting. There's like stuff going on that you're like, well, okay, not perfect. A little boring make- still because all the Marvel Netflix stuff treads. I so okay diversion. Okay, so or digression. I've noticed no, now over tangent. Oh, okay, Get it right tangent. It's a tangent. It's a digressing tangent. So I've noticed across all of these uh, Marvel series, which I still love. I love the fact they exist. I'll watch them all. But one of the things I noticed, and I think it's what causes the fatigue that mainstream audiences have is that they rely on, they create very good settings, right? Mm -hmm. And then they stay there like it's a play. And it reminds me of like, you know, the fighting games, right? Like six, six, six background environments. You just keep rotating through them. Right. And that's the Mm -hmm. thing that the Marvel shows have not been able to crack is that they, even when they are like, they're off to Kunlun and back or they're, you know, they're doing these excursions that they have sometimes done. They don't have a linear progression because they're always going back. They're circular. They're always going back to the home bases of those of each of those shows' storylines. And so, yeah, like Friends. Yeah, you always, always go back to the home roost. Yeah, yeah. So, I, and I noticed that even in season two, it's like a thing happens in a place, and then they go back to the loft, and then there's another thing that happens, and then they go back to 
And then so-and-so goes back to their penthouse. And then, you know, and, and I appreciate the fact that they're working on, they look like movies, but they don't have movie budgets. So I appreciate that. But mm-hmm. it's very clear that if they were, that it's tonally a thing that's very consistent across that whole series. And I'd like to see them break out of it because if they were to make a road trip. So uh, Jessica Jones season two, the most interesting it got was when it actually did that. Right. She yeah, and mom went on a road trip and it was actually like, OK, there we go. We're not in the apartment anymore. <laughs> you know, so well, I, I thought you were going to say the penthouse of the other. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. But but I mean, the point my point is that um, I love the settings. They do a really great job of framing them, even down to following a crap in the most recent one I saw. They're in a warehouse and someone is a uh, Colleen Wing is exploring this warehouse and there's a long crack or a series of cracks in the foundation that are spreading towards the camera and she's walking along that crack. It's very, very deliberate. Cinema, the cinematography is excellent. The problem is it's so recursive again, like the anus, that I think it gets boring for people. But anyway, Iron Fist so far has intrigued me and I'm I'm just excited that it feels like there's more there there than in the last one. Okay, I, I, will, I, will, I won't give you three episodes and I'll okay. go take a look. Fair enough. Okay, so uh, do you have any rum fueled recommendations these are things that you've seen that you recommend that other people see or read or do so i've got to say uh, i have three actually that if people haven't seen them they should okay hereditary let's stat the musical off broadway no it was, it was hereditary ter- it was fucking terrible no. no hereditary it was awesome what's hereditary it's a movie Wait, that's the one with no, no, no. With this Tony, is the with one Tony with uh, Tony Collette that Tony Collette, yeah, that they infamously fucked up and put it as a trailer in front of like some kids' movie in New Zealand. Yes, you and it, that? It, yes, and it, but nonetheless, uh-huh. it is it is effing brilliant. Is that inbreeding? It, no, way? quite the opposite, actually. Outbreeding. No, selective metaphysical supernatural breeding. In not breeding. No. Like eggnog mistletoe breeding. Eggnog. Yeah, just stop. Eggnog mistletoe breeding with Tony Collette. Yeah. I buy with, it. With, I buy with it. A supernatural, with a supernatural, you know, influence here. I want to see it. Okay. What else? Um, the other thing is a throwback to a time long forgotten that everybody should go see because it's basically a new movie is the director's cut of Tropic Thunder. What? Yes. When did that come out? Uh, it came out this summer. And you're it, lying. I am not lying. It's got like 20 minutes of extra footage, and it is at the how, where did it yeah. come out, and how did you find it? It came out direct digital, so I bought it. Like mm-hmm. when I saw it, I was like, Wah! So, um, go see it, buy it, rent it. It is, it is even more brilliant. Are than, you saying that we should see it? Yes, what do you I mean, see, we? What, <laughs> what you talking about? Um, what do you mean, we? Moving mean? on up. What do you mean? So anyway, next time you guys come over here for a barbecue, we will watch that. I want to see um, that. Okay. So yeah. my rum fueled recommendations, the first of which is not that surprising to you, is Iron Fist. Because I'm shocked. the first shocked. couple episodes, the first shocked. few episodes were uh, actually interesting. Not, not deep interesting, not annihilation interesting, but it's, I mean, good but enough to keep than, watching. Better than the Mushroom Drive of Star Trek. Uh, yeah. I still haven't finished that season. Don't. Oh. Did you see the whole thing? Yes. Okay. Um, and then the other one is, and I hope we get to talk about this on a future one because you really need to go see it, uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. 
Oh, I thought you were talking rampage. Rampage? Nope. There is some <laughs> rampaging in this. There is the the uh, you know the classic thing where, as we know, when Tom Cruise runs, he gets power, and if he runs more, he gets more power. Right? It's like a video game. So the more power, the more he runs, like the more Bumblebee. power he has. He's like Bumblebee in the Transformers. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. so in this movie, he runs the farthest, the longest, the hardest, and he gets the most power. Anyway, it's great. Uh, I am just, Macquarie, I think, is just firing on cylinders. Uh, he he continues to breathe life into this franchise. It was, uh, like I was saying to, uh, Bla- uh, to Blair when we saw it together, it's amazing to me. Like, Mission Impossible is like spy action movies for mainstream audiences, right? Yeah, it's not yeah. that complicated. This is a movie where they say, do you mean to tell me there are two nuclear bombs? Yes, there are two nuclear bombs. Two, not one? Yes, two. You know, like that's the scale of complexity in this script. And yet, <laughs> and yet, other than Mission Impossible 1, when like everybody died. In a fake sham. Yeah, but you still figure that, you know, this the gang's going to stay together. This movie it allows you to have suspense in it, even though you know like everyone's going to be fine, and you still watch it, and you're like, it, it's still, you still find yourself feeling that tension of suspense, and I think that is, that's like the Jason Bourne. Hmm, Jason Bourne's different because Jason Bourne, you actually think people could get me killed, right? right? But it definitely has that vibe to it, and I have to say, for a mainstream oriented action movie, that is very rare. So, so you're telling me it's like Pitch Perfect three. Pitch Perfect 3.33333. Okay, cool. All the Hendrick you can take. <laughs> I can take a lot. No. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, this was a good session. I enjoyed it, it very much. Um, we talked Annihilation. We did, which is it, it's one of the most complex movies we've ever reviewed. Oh, my God, man. I just, right? just thinking I about it, I'm struggling. I'm like, oh, I want to see it again and again and again. And the worst can... is I tried, to, I tried to make a personal copy. Of my mm. private, privately owned hard copy, and I cannot. Mm. So it frustrates me. I'm just going to like go buy it. it. I'm just going to buy it. Yeah, I think I should. Because now that now we've talked about it, I'm going to go watch it again. I know. I, like, that's right? the thing. Our best, our best recordings, our best sessions, I want to go back and watch exactly that thing again. And this is one of those deals where I just want to go and lay there. I know after this, I'm going to go uh, just put the soundtrack on in my earphones and yeah. Fall asleep and I, slip into some dementia. I will say pretty much every movie that we talked about out of this, you know, two year journey right after this, if I don't already own it, I go and buy it. And then I watch it like 10 times over the weekend. Including, uh, including, uh, uh, Han Solo. No, I bought a copy just so I could burn it. <laughs> you bought a digital <laughs> copy and then you like change just, it to it. You, you did the force change to a TXT file. And then right. you printed all five thousand pages, and then you burned it. <laughs> no, I, I, I basically I burned it. I burned it to a DVD, yeah. and then I put it in the microwave, and yeah. then I doused it yeah. in lighting fluid. Yeah, yeah, got it. I understand. Yeah, I think it's. I think you need to give it another another viewing, man. It's it's got its it's got no, its I, moments. So I went to DC on uh, on Tuesday, and I watched it on demand. And the only thing that made it better uh-huh. on the plane. Was One. the size of the screen? Oh, was, you oh, son of a bitch! So it wasn't offensive as much as it was on the big screen. Uh, I thought you were going to say like one one of your mics was out or like one of your earphones is out. No, no, so. it, it was a dose response function. It was because it wasn't as magnanimous in its offensive nature. That's that's okay. Well, all right. It is quite. I mean, I can't 
I know we're going to differ on this. I, I, I find that film morally abhorrent. It has a cape. <laughs> it has a cape room, though. I don't get. It's got a Wookiee in a pit. I don't care. There is no such thing as warp fuel. There is no such <laughs> thing as big beasts that exist in the in the vortex in the <laughs> chasm and the mal. It's it, 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 it is an aberrant violation of the entire canon. I just can't. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> how do you feel about uh? How do you feel about land speeders that make screeching noises when they turn? Uh, only if they're post <laughs> post production modifications, just like the. Because we're the going early... back to we're going back yes. to a legacy of of productions where they put World War II sounds into space. Well, space. so you know, post consumer mods. Yeah, you know, those are just like you're going to pimp your ride. You're going to pimp. You're going to pimp your speeder. Right. You know, I get pimp your speeder. I okay. Yeah. All right, man. Well. Good talking Listen, with you. It's been real. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go lay down on the couch in the dark and slowly slip into a slip into a weird sort of uh, body horror madness. Well, I'm gonna claw my face off. No, no, it's 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 the cold, esoteric, ephemeral embrace of a virtual Natalie. If I can, uh, if I can quote what's her name in uh, in uh, in the second Crow movie. Like the scandal? Said, what was her name in remember Lost? You watched Lost, right? Oh yeah. We're gonna yeah. get there. We're gonna get there. We watched Lost, and there was this one really creepy episode where it was entirely based on rationalizing what's his name's tattoos. Mm-hmm. And his tattoo artist was Ling uh Bei Ling. Bei Ling, right? Bei Ling, yeah. So take that. Go back to uh Crow 2. Yes. Bei Ling is the sort of the consort to the main bad guy. And there's this one moment in that horrible movie where it all worked out for me, where she's up on the balcony or somewhere, and, and she just looks up and she goes, I like the pretty lights. And then they just start attacking each other in slow-mo. Yes. So I'll that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay on the couch and say that to myself. as I just... I'm going to do one better. Okay. Go to Bay Ling, go to Bay Ling in Southland Tales. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. And there's a haunting scene where they're playing... Uh, Oh, say, and uh, and Bailing is there dancing with it, and it is just haunting. That's not the thing I would expect you to dance to. No, it is. It it, it actually is an incredible uh, scene with Sarah Michelle Gellar, Dwayne Johnson. Uh, you know, I have not seen that show. I even bought it, and I never saw it. It. it I have it, the DVD. Well, I had the DVDs yeah. somewhere. Yeah, it is a Southland Tales, right? Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. yeah it is a very interesting watch. Huh, but Bailey Bailing is in there, and she's the perfect serpentine. Uh, oh yeah. Id. yeah, yeah, yeah. She does yeah, have yeah. that thing where her spine separates and she spins around and stuff. So that's the movie that's like it's it's tough to be a cop in L.A., right? No, <laughs> it's hard to be a pimp. <laughs> what? And pimps don't pimps don't commit suicide. <laughs> what are you? What? On yes. that, we leave you because we yeah. know they do. It's metaphys- metaphorical and metaphysical. I'm sure. I'm just saying, yeah, Southland Tales is where I got the bromance with uh, The Rock. The Rock. Suffering. And yeah. your interest in bailing spinal separation. No, I've always had the fascination with bailing. All right, so, got it. Yeah, okay. And with that, I'll leave you. Toodaloo. Peace out. So here's the thing. You probably thought that was a pretty sweet podcast recording session or a number of sessions that you just binge through, maybe six hours of them. But you said to yourself, I wish there was more. What am I supposed to do? So here's the tip. If you go to iTunes, if you go to your 
podcast streaming app of choice, you will find all of our previous shows ready for you. The best way to get them is to subscribe to the podcast and then select download all, get all of them, and then you can just listen to them over and over again while you sleep.